Hello, and welcome to The Cut of Steel, episode 13. I'm your host, Kamran Shushtar, and with me is James Selig. Hello. And Brandon Moncada, back at it again. What's up? And we're here one week after recording our Peacemaker episode, because something important came up, of course. A little movie that we've been waiting for called Wieners. And we're so happy. <laughs> Did you watch that trailer? I watched that fucking trailer. I, I heard like, him what the watching fuck that trailer. This? It's so stupid. Dude, oh, man. It, you know you want to see it. I don't think I honestly do. Dude, you know what's crazy? Cast, w- it's got Zachary <laughs> Levi. <laughs> I know. I was like, it's like Dexter, Zachary Levi. I was like, what the fuck? And then on top of that, it's like starring SNL's Keenan Thompson. You're like, wait a minute. He's been on SNL since like 2007. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't the movie coming out in 2008? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, it's an old trailer? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, oh. yeah, no, they, they would never make this now. It would never survive. Interesting. Uh, I don't even know if it would make it straight to Netflix or anything. It would die before that. <laughs> That's where but I saw of course, it we're actually here. <laughs> yeah. We're actually here to talk the Batman. Uh, we have seen it pretty much opening weekend. Uh, Brandon and myself saw it Thursday night in IMAX, and then the night after, James and I saw it at the yep. Alamo, so I've already seen it twice, and I can easily say without a doubt, I will probably see this a minimum of pro- most likely five times in the theater. Oh my god, are you serious? Uh, well, I want, Brandon mentioned XD, and I'm down to watch NXT. I, uh, yeah. I, I want to see it in the Balboa Theater to support my local theater. Uh, yeah. I'm assuming you'd be down with that, maybe. Uh, and then Dolby Digital, because I really want to listen to it in Atmos, where it'll be full surround uh, sound. Okay, I can Imagine that. that Batmobile revving. Oh my god, that's going to yeah. be insane. So, yeah, I'm thinking about all those different times, of course. We'll see. Yeah. but uh, So long, though. I, I wanna, don't care. <laughs> I want to see it like a second time. I'll be good. Yeah. Uh, we have a full uh, topic list like we did with Peacemaker, a little bit more structured actually this time for sure. Uh, Kind of first going through five specific characters and then uh, hitting off some minor characters briefly, uh, followed by really getting into the influences of this movie, whether it was comic books, uh, and it had a lot of comic influences from different books, uh, even films and certain real life events too that had some interesting influences to it. Plus uh, talking about the iconic music in this movie uh just matt reeves direction in general of what he was able to accomplish here and kind of what we're looking at for warner brothers and how they're going to see their directors in the future with their other dc movies and potentially maybe other movies in general i'm not too sure plus uh some things about the end of the movie that we will get to when we get to about a certain character and uh kind of what we're looking forward to with the sequels for this trilogy uh with more so the second movie but what we could see overall whether it's villains and what the they're trying to accomplish with this and everything else but a lot to hit here and you know some other minor topics might come up whenever they feel appropriate so we'll see how it goes uh starting off though you guys let's hit up robert pattinson as the batman and minorly also as bruce wayne yeah, that was the most interesting thing. He spent most of the movie like in costume, which that's a first, I think. I I don't remember where, but I read somewhere that was the goal. 
like that was intended the whole i mean everything was intended for a reason right but like from the get-go i i read somewhere that the whole point behind the movie was that they were going to have him in the suit more than him as bruce yeah it worked i liked it, it. definitely worked uh looking at like previous iterations you know we've had kind of balances interests like bale was a good amount of both on screen uh ben affleck's batman was you know we don't really have that much of him but we still had a little bit of both whether if it was in bvs or him just being bruce wayne as batman in justice league and then like um you know other iterations uh like the animated series we had a good i would say a good balance there too but here it was all batman and he even mentions it very much in the beginning of the movie he does not really care about Bruce Wayne. He only cares about Batman and the mission yeah. he's doing for his family. And it's even talked about near the end where he's uh, confronting the Riddler in Arkham, where he's like, you know, whoever you are under the mask is actually the mask. The real you is right here in front of me. Uh, the other you is your persona. That's your true mask. And I thought that was very well done, especially because it's his second year. And he right now is still learning a lot. He he hasn't figured out everything yet. And by the end, his mission, he has like a different mission statement by the end of the movie compared to his beginning. Well, I find it interesting that he starts off the movie by saying like, I don't even know if I'm making a difference. Like, it's kind of cool to see that side of Batman where he's like, he's still going out and trying to make a difference, but he's like, not sure if it's worth it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I like that we got a Batman that actually talks to himself. Oh my god. Yeah, dude, the dude. opening narration, I was like, oh, that's just straight out of the comics. Yeah, like, every gritty, like, uh, non, I guess, non-celestial or super-powered superhero. With the ones that are more, like, uh, on the street level, they uh, they typically, yeah. like, Daredevil and Batman are the ones that typically would, like, monologue to themselves. Uh, you don't really fi- I mean, you find that in all types of comics, obviously, but you don't really find that in, like, something, like, that's very cosmic or something that's, like, Superman or anything like that. I mean, there there is monologuing, but not as much. Yeah, typically, it it's not taking centerpiece of it. Yeah, yeah. Typically, in a lot of like Batman or like Daredevil comics, when they're patrolling, that's when they're talking to themselves, like yeah. thinking about everything. And you and actually it's interesting, got a lot Definitely, it's interesting seeing like, of course, you know, looking at the comics evolution. It started off earlier. They'd have the actual thought bubbles, like you'd have the little dot 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 bubble, and over time, it evolved to these like more monologue boxes where it's themed after the hero that's going after it so usually when you read a batman comic it's like a black gray box with the bat symbol in the corner and you're reading it and you're knowing this is bruce wayne's perspective in his head and usually you know if i'm reading the comic i just hear kevin conroy's voice just like yeah. oh, i'm batman you're like oh yeah that's great um but this like it's insane how you know the very first iteration of batman was all the way on the screen in the 40s and all the other like there was the serial there are serial tv shows um but it went from all the way from there to eventually getting other superhero movies and tv shows from superman spider-man the mcu all the shit and it took all the way to 2022 for us to finally get 
a monologue like that. And I think we've only seen it once before. I, I just actually remembered we have only gotten it once. And I think it was only in, I want to say, 2008, 2009. I can't remember what year, but Rorschach and The Watchmen was the only other time I think we've ever gotten oh, yeah, a monologue. Huh. Um, yeah, that's like the only time. Uh, but it's just astounding that we got it. And it was like the beginning, the end. And it worked so well. Like it felt so good. Like you're getting goosebumps listening to it. And especially with the intro, the way he's perceived, and it's a Batman I've wanted to see two version, like two specific pieces uh, of him yeah. for so long. One is that feeling of fear. And we sort of get it in Batman Begins a bit where well, he's like, you know, they're in that warehouse and they're like, who is it? And Scarecrow's like, it's the Batman. And you're like, oh boy. But here, he's not even there. That's the thing. Like in in the um bale movies like he i'm sure at some point he mentioned like using fear as a weapon or whatever but it, you never really saw him use it effectively it, it's like just on a like, mass scale i got you upside down on this roof <laughs> but, yeah stuff like that uh but then like this batman though is like he is feared enough that literally just criminals look in a dark alley and they're like not worth it he might be yeah. there and that's cool to see that he has like an actual like fear effect on the city's criminal elements and they like maybe sometimes avoid doing the thing that they were going to do for the night just because he might be out there yeah and i do love that they make him like a boogeyman like that and mm -hmm. that is one of the biggest things that i'm so happy this movie did the other thing of course is batman stays true to his original title detective yeah that was really cool especially seeing him actually like in crime scenes like doing his own investigation also interesting to see that it's like i mean gordon seems to trust him at this point but not all cops do so like they're constantly going like hey you're gonna let this random dude on the crime scene he's a freak that dresses like a bat like what the hell like the I, I do like that one cop that was like actually a fan of Bruce Wayne, but he was like earlier giving shit to Batman. Uh, oh, Martinez. Yeah. 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 Hey, um, Bruce Wayne. I think. Be oh, sorry. No, I was pretty much done. Um, The other thing I was going to say, like, I genuinely love this film. I have no problem saying uh, this is this is the best Batman movie ever. For All sure. Right. I'll see you guys later. What about Batman <laughs> Returns, Brandon? I know, right? Um, <laughs> we don't talk about that no but like, there are scenes that are kind of awkward with him that like it makes sense why they did it but it's also like it just it feels a little awkward so like when he's at crime scenes like the first crime scene when riddler kills the mayor we're talking spoilers full on right yeah full spoilers okay, yeah so have when you not watched this movie yet people <laughs> when he's at the crime scene it's one of those things like he kind of stands there and he's just like scanning he's literally scanning because it's like his contact lens record everything so he can he has detective vision going on but he just kind of like rotates and just stares people down and it's very robotic and he's just kind of like walking with like his boots just stomping everywhere mm. and it's just kind of like my friend described it as like it looks like he's about to fart every time <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know maybe i'd have to see it again so like and i probably not, will but it's not like a bad thing but it does look a little awkward on screen because if you look at a comic book, 
it's easy for one panel he's like staring and then the next panel he walks around yeah. but in a movie and i'm not again i'm not trying to like make this sound like it's the worst thing ever or anything it's just like there's moments where he just looks kind of weird like yeah no, I uncomfortable you. so i think like it makes sense why they do it in context of like the character in the movie and he does a good job of it but there are moments where you're just kind of like okay dude like scan the crime scene and move on like <laughs> Well, it makes me think of two things. One, I'm just got a new monologue where it's like Tuesday, October 31st. I'm in the mayor's room where his corpse is lying and holding in that fee- the beefy five layer burrito I had earlier from Taco Bell. <laughs> he, he does look like he's gonna fart sometimes. <laughs> uh, I guess like my only I guess thought of why he is the way he is is it's still young, very young Batman. It's uh-huh. he's not even in his 30s yet. He's still in his late 20s, and it's supposed to be his second year. And, you know, we all know how your one is. He gets in there and even Gordon's like, who the fuck are you? And everyone's after him. No, like no one trusts him. No one likes him. He's against everyone until the very end of it where, you know, he rescues Gordon's son and shit. And year two, it's supposed to be the introduction of him working with cops at just starting. And so far, it's just Gordon. And the other cops are tolerating him now, though. Like, he's able to actually walk in to a crime scene of a dead mayor of the city and then walk out scot-free with even the commissioner coming in going like, ah, oh, fuck, he's here. Oh, well. <laughs> like, he's not he's even here. like... Yeah, he's not going to stop him or anything. And even, like, at one point, they go from attempting to try to shoot him at the station to then following him and just kind of going like, yeah, just do what he does, whatever, man. Like, it's the Batman. Um, and I did really like that evolution of kind of seeing the cops, none of the cops trusting him to even like the one calling him a freak in the beginning. Martinez just being like, oh, hey, you're here in the Riddler's place. Might as well just start a conversation with you and even give you hints. Like he helps him like solve the final riddle or like the final like plan that Riddler had and stuff just by mentioning, just talking, which was really interesting. But um, one thing I really did like uh, for his evolution too is by the end of it we do it's implied that he learns that maybe not just being the batman is enough and we don't really get that in other film iterations or even television iterations like it's very rare because it's a whole thing where you know one of the arguments against batman is well he's so rich why doesn't he just help the people with his bruce wayne money and do philanthropy and shit and you know he does at a minor point but in this one you feel it like at a, at a certain point, the mayor comes and talks to him. And it's like, hey, yeah. I, I noticed like you haven't done shit. But if I'm mayor, you're going to do shit. And by the end of it, the way he's working as Batman with them and he understands now, like he does that ending monologue. And he's like, you know, I see things are changing, but I could also change in another way, too. Like, you know, he's going to start being Bruce Wayne now, whether it's just to help people or maybe he'll start really utilizing himself there and like, hey, maybe I can live a little bit or at least like walk in the daylight without <laughs> without fucking shades, which yeah. we just for a second talk about the fact that he just like middle of the day is like, oh, fuck, the sunlight yeah. is too much. He's like up all night, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's fair. But yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting. Um, were there anything else that stood out to you? whether it was his acting or the way he is as Batman and stuff like this character has done mm-hmm. so much. I feel like he, the action feels genuine. So 
I'm not here to bash the Christopher Nolan trilogy. But if you watch some of the fighting in that game, it's really... Or game. Um, movie. In those movies, it's very stiff. It's very like... Oh, yeah. Huh, huh, you Don't know, even, like... They talk about his neck not being able to move. Yeah, and like, like... He physically looks stiff, and the fighting looks extremely choreographed. Like, especially in the third one. And... Oh, you mean like that fight on the roof with uh, Bane's guys? And if you look closely, there's one guy who who's throws getting himself? punched. Who does? Who's not fighting right? anybody? It's you yeah. cannot see it when you see it. You're just like, <laughs> <laughs> I was so scared for the yeah, bat like, that he, everybody's his fighting. Came and started fighting me, Bane. Everybody's fighting, uh, fighting, and this one guy literally just throws himself. Like if he got punched, it's hilarious. I know exactly. That what you're man talking used about. some fear toxin. He's fighting yeah. his own demons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um but like in this movie the fighting feels a little bit more genuine like uh that hallway scene that wasn't Amazing. any special effects you know that right that was all practical it was all practical, practical effects yeah yeah so to me that's a, a lot of like planning and coordination and choreography going on and i think they took that level of care like they didn't think they could pull it off because all the muzzle flashes that is the only light in that scene and I think that level of character was put into all of the fights. If you like, pay attention. Like the fights are pretty hardcore. Like when Batman fights, it feels like you're watching like a martial arts film. Oh no, yeah, it's yeah for sure. It's definitely amazing. I feel like I mean, could... one of my favorite scenes is like him, like fighting his way out of the police station. Because mm-hmm. like I mean, well, specifically like the right before he fights or like punches Gordon, like when all the cops are around him and he just like gets up wicked fast and just like mm-hmm. makes sure to get space away from people and stuff like that and like i don't know i just i thought that was like a cool move like he immediately gets like combat ready yeah and com- being completely surrounded you see him like not even you kind of see him loose and reckless because he was also like concussed from the, the blast that, yeah. mm-hmm. he is really whipping back and forth like you see his cape moving you see him kind of a little frantic there that's like at least in terms of his combat i think that's him in his most like i guess disarrayed compared to everything else like when he's like fighting the riddler goons uh or i guess riddler QAnon guys like whatever you want to call them uh when they when he flies down through there he's like fully like ready to go uh compared to that um one thing too i noticed uh was all these fights in this movie when you think of like oh top comic book movie fights all of a sudden like multiple fights here are just listed now under the top like 10 easily you're just like oh it's just half of it now is just from the batman because when you think about it like a lot of the fights we get from other comic book movies they're cool but they're very much like superpower laser beam blast and you're like oh wow i'm gonna shove you five miles (laughs) yeah and it like in terms of just full combat, you only get that from, I want to say, three other things. And it's like BVS with uh, Batman in the warehouse, Daredevil in the first season in that hallway fight, and also right. the fucking insane season three uh, three-way fight between him, Bullseye, and Kingpin, which was mm-hmm. phenomenal, by the way. And then uh, recently, I would, I would have to say, too, like Shang-Chi's choreography was amazing as uh. well. Uh, and it goes now with these. They all kind of like are so far at the top of what we've seen in terms of like sheer 
physical combat whereas like you know if you go into the super stuff you know you'd look at like i guess i don't know superman and zod in man of steel or something where it's like the powered stuff and whatnot or something from maybe an avengers movie i don't really know it's like hard to remember to be honest but uh the fights here in the choreography were just beautiful absolutely stunning um trying to think if there is really anything else that stood out with him as batman he you know he's not the most like convincing body wise like he's not ripped as like ben affleck was but when you think about beforehand not really not much of any of the batman actors were really buff ben affleck was the first one to get like a comic book fake looking body you see him like pulling the tire and you're just like what is it yeah so I think like it's fine, you know. He looked a little scrawny for a Batman. And it's a little hard to believe. That was like the other thing. It's a little hard to believe he's like able to hit that hard. But don't get me wrong, like it's mm-hmm. possible, obviously. Yeah, I and mean, he's got like the suit. I mean, it's not like a powered suit or anything. But it, I mean, did he have like? You can imagine those gloves are pretty strong. Yeah, no, don't get. Well, and he, he also have, had like, his metal like knuckles or whatever. But he also had his hands wrapped, kind of like a uh, what's it called? My like tie. Yeah. If you notice, there's a scene where he takes his gloves off. His hand, his knuckles are wrapped up, and that's probably mm-hmm. to protect them, yeah. but also an added layer. And again, yeah. I'm not saying someone his size can't hit that hard. That you know what I mean, like. And I'm not yeah. also gonna critique a movie that a you know a comic book movie to that point, but like sometimes with you know with Batman, it's kind of weird because he's supposed to be just a human, right? So like, yeah, he's got certain limitations. Apparently, I mean, we all know Batman doesn't have limitations, but. <laughs> Look at Batman. You know, it's like you his see. His only limitation is how much time he has to prepare. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I'm pretty sure Robert Pattinson could kick someone's ass. He could probably kick my ass. But it's just like you look at him and you're like, can he really punch as hard as Batman is like known to punch? You know what I mean? Yeah. Eh. And again, I, it's possible for someone his like size. I'm just saying, it's a, he's a little scrawny. Again, not a bad thing, but he's not like. It's kind of breaking the comic book norm of like what a superhero body looks like. So it's a little he's awkward. He's definitely, effort. yeah, he's definitely smaller than the other actors that have played Batman. Especially, I don't know if it's just been time now compared to like when they first were in the roles compared to like where they are now. But is it me or is Robert Pattinson the youngest casted Batman for on screen besides uh, the one in Joker mm. that was literally just a child? But uh, oh. <laughs> uh, I don't. I, how I old like is he right now? I mean, would you count the the kid from Gotham? No, no, <laughs> no he was not. in the suit once. He he was in the suit once at the very end, but then again, uh, when they do that future uh, like flash forward stuff, Selena Kyle's recast. Uh, it's weird. a different actress, so she's much older. Christian Bale was actually younger. Really? Oh, yes. Okay. So Christian Bale is forty eight right now, and Robert Pattinson is thirty five. Assuming the Batman started two years ago in production, give or take, that means Robert Pattinson was like 32, 33. And Batman Begins came out 17 years ago. So at minimum, Damn. Christian Bale was 31 when that movie came out. Hmm, okay. That's crazy. He looks older back then. Yeah, too, right? Christian Bale was like 26 in American Psycho when that came out. Damn, he looks so much older. It's weird. Yeah, that was a 26-year-old running around naked with a chainsaw and tennis shoes. <laughs> Basically. God damn. So it's crazy. Um, all in all, I think with Robert Pattinson, it's a little awkward and jarring at first. 
but then it becomes more believable as you watch him because it is possible for someone his size to be that strong and that proficient at fighting you know what i mean yeah so yeah it's it's believable it's just a little awkward at first and then you get used to it when you start seeing him play the character yeah yeah i kind of agree like i feel like i was way more worried about his casting before i saw the movie just because like all the preview stuff that came out where there's like oh he his voice is basically just whispering the whole movie and i was just like that that could sound bad yeah it's like that could sound bad uh and then like the news blurb about him not knowing that batman is the world's greatest detective until after he saw the movie himself and i was just like how is that even possible i mean i hope they got the tone right and no like he was totally fine like i i thought he was actually really good like way way better than i expected considering like through the movie you feel like he wins you over like throughout the movie he convinces you over and over and over that it's like i'm the batman i can be batman uh i was cedric diggory i was um the vampire edward yeah yeah team edward yeah and yeah, I, I knew it was lighthouse. him and Jason, the werewolf, right? The, J- the Jason was werewolf. Anyway, but he, he was like the vampire, and then you know he got oh a lot God, of shit for it. Jacob. Oh, okay, oh, fucking. I, I knew it was some guy. Shit, I, I just know. remembered his dad was in a wheelchair in the rain in the trailer, and it was really funny. But uh, he, you know, got shit for being sparkly vampire man, and then we didn't really see him for a long time. Until all of a sudden he comes back in these more, I don't want to say independent movies, but like more unique original films like The Lighthouse. And I think there was, James, you watched one, right? It had him and Tom Holland in it um, oh. on Netflix or something. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Devil All the Time. Yeah. Oh, and that he movie. Was in That's a, right. He was in another movie. I can't remember, but it influenced this too. It was like a special, he wore like a jacket or something in it. Um I forget, you look like some interesting looking character, but he's proven, at least with his more recent movies, that he can really act. Just no, like, he's a you good know, actor, for sure. I feel like every single time we get a version of Batman and everyone that comes into that movie, you know, everyone gives them shit. They're like, oh, God, this is going to be horrible. Anne Hathaway, Heath Ledger, whatever, like, this isn't going to work. And all of a sudden yeah. you watch it and you're like, oh, shit, this is great. And dude, here, even, I mean, we'll get to Colin Farrell later, but like, even the Penguin, I was like, why would you cast Colin Farrell? And I liked him a lot. Yeah. <laughs> or most people literally went, oh, who's playing the penguin? I just saw him. He looks great. That's Colin Farrell. Yeah. And then their minds blow every single fucking time. Yeah, I told one of my coworkers that and she was like, wait, what? You mean bullseye? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my, my God. My hands. Uh, what did you do my to mind? my hands? Batman was in that movie, too. <laughs> yeah. We, we, <laughs> it's all I, connected. I I love that there's always this just weird ass web. Just like, I mean, there's also an X Men in this movie. Uh, Zoe Kravitz played Angel in First Class. Sure. Not oh, the yeah. not the winged Angel, Angel, the weird yeah, like no, no, fucking no, no, no. bug. I shoot acid. Yeah, with the tattoo wings, which was pretty cool actually. Yeah, they should have just made her. I don't know. I think made her Angel. It didn't make any sense, but she was in it nevertheless uh, until she was shown to be dissected and killed in the second movie. Uh, in days of future past mm. yeah it's kind of oh, crazy. Yeah. uh what was i gonna say um but yeah robert pattinson does a great job and the the voice uh real fast with the whispers like i gotta say i think 
he is for sure i want to say tied with ben affleck as like the best voiced Batman. oh yeah no but uh, yeah if i didn't uh, make that uh, clear like the the voice that he does the whole movie i thought it was actually really cool yeah he because we you know we get all the other uh, uh other iterations there's oh chum we've got shit to solve and it's like adam west and it's like you know very pulpy for that age we have mike i don't even remember the burton batman voices i don't want to remember the it's burton batman like, voices it's kind of like you know like, <laughs> like and then they turn like whisper talk like yeah they have to move their whole fucking body to turn and shit and then yeah. bales you know where's our trigger and you're like oh fuck like until we've gotten Ben Affleck, who had the awesome voice modulator, which I thought was really fucking cool. And then now Pattinson being just more, you know, I'm going to do a low filter on myself, just doing my own local voice pass on there. And it works so well with his own voice doing it. And I applaud him for the fact that he didn't need any modulation. It's just like, oh, here, here I am with the voice like this. And I'm, maybe they did do something. And I mean, I feel like they design. might have edit, like, done yeah. something in editing, but... Uh, they did uh, that. some actually, yes, they did modula- They did some voice modulation. But he does feel like it's believable as something talking naturally like that. Oh, for and sure. I really appreciated mm-hmm. that. Uh, but speaking of X-Men, we had Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. And, you know, this is the i made a big deal about this i'm like this is our first jewish catwoman and i'm very happy (laughs) to see that um you know she's done a great job and she's i believe the third uh black catwoman as well after eartha kit from the adam west time and then the one we shall not speak of played by halle berry oh Um, yeah yeah (laughs) oh no i never saw that movie i didn't actually either i just saw parts of it and knew as a child that it wasn't for me i've seen um, videos on it and it it it's so confusing <laughs> yeah and let me just say real quick when we recorded our uh a recent episode on a city comics podcast i did not know that zoe kravitz applied basically to be in the dark knight rises but they didn't yeah. let her in because yeah. of her it, and i quote because they said it was her the color of her skin and weird i was like that's fucked up like yeah. you would think hollywood has gotten better by that time but it obviously still was fucked up i mean it's still pretty messed up over there but like it's crazy to think like that was a thing that happened and no one knew about it yeah and you know like uh looking at it and you know we, we talked about it in that episode i was talking about how although i brought to light i, I didn't even think it, i was saying it and discovering it for myself as i went going like oh yeah they whitewashed a lot of characters in that trilogy dude but, yeah uh, we talked about the whitewashing of like every character in that movie yeah from bane razal ghoul everyone but like it's funny too because zoe kravitz she wasn't even auditioning for catwoman i don't believe it was like a, a different role i'm not sure what it was uh, huh. I, I never looked into it myself but um it's interesting that even then they were like oh no that's that's going too far dude that i was literally caught off guard with that like it it had me speechless for a second i was like like this really was a thing yeah like it's crazy and i think it shows that she really wanted to be part of like a batman movie and she finally got it yeah she did a good job i mean she was one of the better parts of this movie oh yeah i mean People talk about like Michelle Pfeiffer being like the Catwoman, like on screen that everyone knows and loves. And 
you know, I, I've said what I've said about Batman Returns, but like she's the best Catwoman to date. Like uh Zoe. Yeah. yeah. I liked her like proto suit where it's like just, you know, kind of a cat suit, but like she has like kind of a ball a balaclava or whatever. Like the uh um, Oh the mask? The yeah, the head mask. But like like it, a ski mask. Yeah, like a ski mask, but Which, like it just it just covers her nose. Yeah, and she's and, able to do the full. She's like, I got the cat ears. Yeah, and it even has like little cat ears, like not like super, like it's not definitely cat ears, but it's like they're alluding to it. They did the yeah. same thing on Anne Hathaway, where like her goggles turned into cat ears. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. But I don't know. I even liked that at some point in the movie, she like got off her like motorcycle and pulled out like a whip or whatever. Or, oh yeah, I when she like takes chains. out the she takes out the twins uh, when it's at the penguins uh, exchange or like his warehouse transportation time. Yeah. Uh, I gotta say too, like she had it all down and everything from like I mean obviously you know as a guy you're automatically like oh shit it's Catwoman like I, I can't believe it my mind like <laughs> I love her she's hot and stuff and like whatever but, but also she whooped ass she whooped ass but she got everything down because the whole thing with Cowan is she talks very seductively. She's very seductive. Mm. And even when she takes out the twins at that meet, you see the way she's walking. She's doing like a full strut as she just finished up combat. Like she just has everything naturally going. Like you don't question it. You go, yeah, that's how much swagger she has. And looking at like the way she's able to just use one leg to take somebody out. Just like the constant kicking she's able to do. It's amazing, like the prowess she has there. And, you know, I'll talk about it later on with the influences from like other books and stuff. But you get, even with the haircut, you get that year one vibe easily with everything. Like it's so good the way they pull that off. I love how easily it was or how easy it was for her to just like break into a crime scene to break into a crack of vault. The same way Riddler got into the place. Was through the roof. Was that? Oh, did they mention that? Yeah, like the Riddler, it shows him looking at the mayor and like his son comes in. Then he looks up at the roof, implying he's coming in oh, through the roof to break I in. that. And then okay. the same thing, Catwoman just comes down. Then Batman comes down. Everyone's just coming through the roof and they still are just like, we, we didn't watch the roof. <laughs> um, One thing too, which is actually more hilarious than anything is... For the role for both of them, I actually forgot with uh with uh, uh or Pattinson, their auditioning styles had I believe classic suits from the Burton age. Uh, Pattinson I believe wore the Batman Forever bat suit. Uh, from what I heard in an interview, when he was first doing the role, and it was just from the top up, so the bottom half was just sweats. <laughs> so it was Batman in sweatpants, but it was the the Val Kilmer outfit, and I'm just like, oh my god, that sounds amazing. Meanwhile, she had the Pfeiffer Catwoman mask on. It looked like, and she, you know, you think she's joking when she's like, yeah, I actually acted like I was licking out out of a bowl of milk, like mm-hmm. you know, down. And what happened, dude? On her Instagram, she posts the full photos with her and the Pfeiffer mask on, licking fucking milk. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, this is. <laughs> This shit's real. Like they got into full roles for this, and I love the fact that they got like super into character. Even see you see her at the premiere. She's got the cat dress. Like uh, even the the dress has like two cats, uh, like literally covering her breasts. There's two cat ears and everything. It's like phenomenal the way they do that. But um, going back to her character, like her past 
the way they connect uh, Long Halloween into it too, where, you know, John Turturro plays Carmen Falcone, which we'll get to in a bit, but the the way they incorporate him being her father. And yeah, I never knew that. That was super interesting. Yeah, uh, that was it, from uh, Catwoman. Well, we'll get to it, but. When in, yeah. Um, but the way they establish that relationship and give her more as a leading lady than a supporting actress, I would say or as a supporting character like you're watching the movie and it is called the batman but you feel catwoman not as like a little second fiddle like she is prominent she has her own like whole storyline and everything where she's trying to find like her friend and then like eventually literally finds her stuffed in a duffel bag dead and then she's like well at least i'll steal some money i'll I'll go find the guy who did this and kill him (laughs) it was like a pretty hardcore pg-13 movie yeah i honestly i i Never looked at the rating. I uh, couldn't remember if it was R or PG thirteen. Well, uh, this is gonna sound stupid, but like one like touch about her character, like outfit and everything that I thought was super funny, or well, not funny, but interesting, was like her nails literally looks like cat nails, and her gloves when she's in costume had holes in the tips so yeah. that her claws could still come through. I thought that was like a funny little touch. Yeah. I think like it was the most modern take on the character you could have at this point. Yeah. Right. Without Someone looking who's... too, I guess, comic booky, if that makes sense. Like makes no. any sense. In terms of the looks or just her situation? Her looks. Like the actual okay. costume design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I-, I could see like this still being just her proto outfit for this uh, at the same time too. Yeah. Like I could imagine their maybe not necessarily the suit, but the cowl. Like, uh, I can imagine most likely the yeah uh, like, Ed Brubaker version, I, I would imagine, coming in eventually. Uh, if you ever knew uh, Ed Brubaker did do a run on Catwoman. And it's like the classic, like, she's got the goggles. She's got, like, the regular mask and stuff. Um, I, I do see this iteration coming in in the future. Yeah. I mean, one of the topics we wanted to talk about later was, like, what's going to happen next. Yeah. And, like, one of the things at the end of the movie was... Yeah, like the outgoing monologue where Batman is saying, like, you know, I have made it. I I see now I have made a change on the city, but not the change that I thought it was going to be, you know, implying that, like, you know, he inspired people like the Riddler to, like, do something insane. Like, what else could happen? Maybe Catwoman goes and looks at him and says, like, hey, that guy's got a suit. Why don't I make a suit? (laughs) I could do that. Yeah. She she lacks the money at least, but I mean now she doesn't actually. She has a double bag full of money, so yep. she can definitely make some changes. Uh, and I'm sure Bloodhaven's cheaper than Gotham uh, in terms of rent, probably. Bloodhaven's a city like unless it's Nightwing, you just don't hear anything about it. I was shocked yeah. that they said Bloodhaven. Like you, you feel like it was like you and three other people in the theater where you're just like yeah, she I says Bloodhaven. I'm like oh, <laughs> I literally pointed at the screen. I was like oh hey Bloodhaven. <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, they're gonna get references in there. Oh yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise the way her attitude goes where, you know, she's very much like the character that shouts out more modern, I guess, political events, whether it's like, you know, 1% white privilege and stuff like you notice it very briefly, but it's interesting to see like them bring it in and it's very believable the way they do that. And she's like, you know, all these fucking, uh, commissioners and mayors die and, you know, everyone's losing their shit. And this one woman that has never had the the good things that they've had is killed and no one gives two shits about her and just bringing those topics in i thought was really well done like it it felt like it came in naturally where you know in, in now in modern day 
whether it's TV shows or movies, you know, sometimes you get things that are shoehorned in for the sake of a message and the message may not match the rest of the content that it's coming in with. But I felt like this one did it so well that you don't question it. You're like, yeah, no, this works very well. This makes sense in what exactly what she's talking about. Um, other than that, I think, is there anything else you guys want to talk about Catwoman? Um, I think like the thing that's interesting with Catwoman that I always felt like was, you know, when it comes to superhero stuff, there's always going to be at some point like sexualization within the character design. Yes. It's just kind of like it comes with the material. Like all comic book characters have been like sexualized at one point if they still aren't, you know? Um, the thing with this Catwoman was it, you know, it, it's one of those things where like the sexualization was, how do I put it? It's, how do I want to word it? It's like they, huh? (laughs) Empowering. It's well, it's more of like a lot of time it's for like the male gaze. Yeah. And that could be the case now, but maybe I'm wrong. And I could be wrong, but it's like she knew which it was like she used that to get like to be like the inside person working at the club. And I felt like a lot of uh, the times that Catwoman's been displayed on screen, it's always been like over sexualized just for the sake of sexualized and Mm -hmm. all these like weird sexual cat puns, you know? And this time around, there wasn't any awkward, weird sexual cat puns, but it was like, in a way, not just for the male gaze, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I could easily see a little girl watching this and being like, I want to be like Catwoman. Like, just like, maybe not as much as being like, I want to be Wonder Woman, but I I could definitely see this being something of an influencer inspiration uh in different facets whether it's like just being badass or fashion or anything really well it was like the character was like maybe i'm again maybe i'm wrong but like in past batman movies it always seems like she like needed batman for help in certain ways but this time around it was like she didn't need help but she could still handle herself and Mm -hmm. yeah she would like you know in her own way deceive the men in the club in order to be on the inside and use and i guess like be able to use that to her advantage when it came to like her own investigations and it it seems like it serviced what was going on in the movie and not necessarily serviced like just male gaze if that makes any sense oh no it makes perfect sense like uh the fact that she's able to get all the information she wants because guys they the advantage she has over them is they don't think of her and because they don't think of her, they easily underestimate her. And when yeah, she's out she, of it, she's just like, you fucked up. And now I know everything I need to know. Like, she doesn't and, let any guy get near her. But she, yeah. like, distracts them enough to where she can slip past them. Yeah. And then also, even with, like, Batman and everything, you know, he's like, hey, I worry about you. And she's like, I could, trust me, tall, dark, and vengeance. Like, I could take care of myself. And, you know, you see her later with Mackenzie just beating the shit out of him like hey look what i caught (laughs) you're just like oh my god (laughs) so you definitely feel like unless it's her own father she's pretty much like on top of it all uh yeah without a doubt long story short it felt like a catwoman that was not just sexual puns 
yes. the entirety of it, the movie. You know, it felt like, like a character with feelings, with motivation, with just a drive. Yeah, and because again, before from what I've seen, it seems like it was just sexual cat puns the whole time, and this time around, it yeah. wasn't just that. There was like depth to her, and that's partly due to probably the writing, but also mm-hmm. her, you know, her being a good actress. And being in yeah. understanding, like being, she's done really well in other movies too. And so she's she's got she's known to be a great actress. And in this role, she's like again, you know, honestly being one of the better characters in the movie, if not the best character. Yeah, and this isn't the first time she's been like a badass in a movie. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but she's in Mad Max Fury Road as one of uh, Immortan Joe's wives, and of all the wives she's the one that's like i know how to use a gun and it's just they're like loading up guns and taking shots and it's awesome to see she's also so, in, like, she... in dope that's dope i haven't seen it but oh <laughs> so it's a good movie but she's in that as well okay uh moving on to uh the who do i have next i guess the lieutenant gordon played by jeffrey wright this is probably the most involved Gordon we've ever had on screen, which, you know, says something comparing like, you know, we've seen uh, what's his face? Uh, Gary Oldman's Commissioner Gordon, which, you know, we, we got the he's most of before. He's in every single bat, uh, all three mustache. of Nolan's movies. He's very involved, like he's there all the time. And a lot of the times he's just kind of like. Batman comes and he helps out in some way. The only time he's really been fully involved was the fear gas with Scarecrow and stopping that, the the like Joker truck fight when they're on the road, and then um, trying to stop the bomb in Dark Knight Rises. But Jeffrey Wright's character is much more like he's down there the whole time because he's also not high ranking yet. So it's he's got no help. He's got no one to order around unless like he's just trying to get Batman past the crime scene. So this is a dude who's just I, I get everything done myself and I work with Batman. I'm the only one that uses this signal. I'm the only one that comes to this like tower where I have the signal for Batman and he isn't afraid to take a punch. He's not afraid uh, of anything really like he gets in there every single time whether it's being shot at by riddler uh dudes or anything like that and he plays a very like believable guy of like hey man you have your way and i have mine i'm not putting this gun down <laughs> and shit like that it's it's very enjoyable yeah i thought it was interesting like you mentioned him taking a punch like the fact that he believed that the batman could like figure out what's going on and like find the Riddler so much that he's like, okay, I'm going to pretend like I'm giving you shit, but I need you to punch me in the face and just run the fuck out of here. <laughs> and he does. And like, he takes it. And I, I also love that he comes back later. He's like, you could have, you could have held that punch a little. <laughs> like I did. So good. It's just like Catwoman and Batman. This is like the best Gordon to date on screen. And I think everyone kind of knew that coming into it because, like, the moment you saw the first trailer and you saw him, you're like, "That's Commissioner Gordon." Yeah, like, Jeffrey Wright's just great. Yeah, it was like almost like a no-brainer to choose him. You know, like it was almost like natural to the point where, like, it was like, "Oh, why didn't we choose him before?" Yeah, 
and he he usually in any cast he stands out a lot like he is yeah. probably one of the best characters in westworld or oh, absolutely one of the people in westworld and Dude, like the what the twist with him in the end of the first season was so mind-blowing i was just like oh, i can't understand i can't believe what's happening oh. yeah it's it's so good and then like even in hunger games because you know it, it gets in its own thing but like the second through fourth movie he's in there and he's a lot of fun he's like the brains of everything and it's like interesting seeing him and this isn't his first time doing all this stuff like he actually i haven't listened to it or watched it i don't know if there's any visual on it yet i need to still but there's a batman audio drama on hbo max oh yeah that one voices batman in it which is funny because you have him voicing batman and you can imagine just his you know gruff voice and everything else and the fact that you have him here now is gordon and i think also the like reinforcing what you say brandon like he's the best gordon on screen he's there as batman's partner the mm-hmm. whole time and that's what sets him apart from the previous iterations and really brings him to light because almost every single riddler related issue that has batman there gordon is almost there every single time even like from penguin to uh coming outside with falcone and mckenzie and the chase and everything else it's always him he's always there no matter what even when he doesn't realize Bruce, like, Batman's there when he just sees Bruce Wayne at the funeral. Like, Gordon's mm-hmm. there front and yeah. center. He's the first one to go forward to that car when uh, the DA comes, like, he drives in the fucking funeral and shit. Like, it's so much fun to watch him. And I think what makes this movie so well done is the fact that it does two things that are very important and things that I think the Dark Knight the reason why this overshadows the dark Knight is the dark Knight. We talked about it a little bit earlier at the Apollo episode, but you know, it's biggest thing is the Joker and the Joker is the antagonist. The Joker is the bad guy and he overshadows Batman completely. He overshadows Christian Bale completely. Mm. And you don't think about the fact that the main character isn't the best character. Whereas in the Batman, that's the opposite where they like, you're like, Oh my God, this is an amazing Batman. I feel like I'm watching the Batman movie for Batman. But he's not alone, and you feel very equalized having Catwoman and Gordon there because they feel like they are big pieces that, if taken away, is detrimental to the film's quality. Uh, and I do like that reverse, like, long Halloween kind of meeting between, like, you know, you have uh, Dent, Gordon, and Batman, and instead when they're, like, you know, interrogating Mackenzie... It's instead of Den, it's Catwoman. And the best part about that is they go up and they're like, you know, I thought you had the, uh, I thought you lit the signal. And he's like, oh, I thought you did. And they go up there and they just see her beating the shit out of yeah. him. And Gordon just walks over like, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I don't know who you are, but uh, Mackenzie must be corrupted. Uh, side note, you, you know who else is in the uh, Hunger Games movies? Foggy. Oh fucking yeah! He plays yeah. the silent guy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, he's every actor he's is just in the, everything pop culture now. It's huh. hilarious. Yeah, Jim C's one of the, there's like two the guy with the camera that's like recording Katniss. Uh, that's Foggy Nelson. He plays like the guy that doesn't talk. Weird. I do not remember this. He has a ponytail. That's the reason why you can't remember how he looks. Yeah. <laughs> Completely like different um, hairstyle. Moving yeah. on to the villains. <laughs> Foggy Paul- Nelson. <laughs> 
fucking Nelson. <laughs> Lawyers have always been corrupt. <laughs> no, they want your money. Um, Paul My Dano wanted me to be a deli man. <laughs> Vote for me for DA. No, uh, Paul Dano's Riddler. Holy shit! Not I, Jim Carrey. No, no, definitely not Jim Carrey. I'm glad I don't want Jim Carrey anymore. <laughs> he changed that character so much because you know this is such a grounded take and if you're having a grounded interesting take, take on the riddler for sure yeah you don't you're not expecting a dude in a green suit that's like batman i sent a series of clues everywhere yeah and you're just like oh okay thanks riddler like this well, it's is... interesting that like in the comics in the cartoons it seems like the riddler is always using his riddles to try to like prove that he's smarter than everyone around him yes but, like in this he's using them to like expose the truth of Gotham, which is interesting. Yeah, he's a a victim of the system, and mm-hmm. through it takes his vengeance out on the system and everyone that enforces its corruption. And it's such a different take because yeah, it is usually the Riddler hates Batman because Batman always beats him. He always solves it, and the Riddler is so beatable because. That's his whole thing. He goes, I'm going to lose if you solve my riddle. There's nothing else that I can do. That is my main thing. And nothing else usually matters. Uh, Whereas this one takes it in a complete different direction. Instead of being, hey, Batman, I'm here because you make me want to do better. And like, uh, I want to beat you at your game and shit. He's instead like, you inspire me. And you inspire me to do what I need to to stop this corrupt city. And I'm so crazy. I think we're working together. And that if I give you these riddles, you're actually helping me because you're helping expose everything to the city. And you're going to help bring those corrupt to the light, literally to the light, so I can kill them. Yeah, that second to last scene with him where he like explains, like mostly that he like, he literally thought that he was working with the Batman and like he had this whole narrative in his own head of like what's going on. He's like, Oh yeah, I'm palling around with the Batman. He's do we're working together. We're going to, you know, fix Gotham. Like one of my, I wouldn't say problems, but like, uh, things I find strange about Batman is that like all his villains tend to go to Arkham, which is a mental institution, even though like Blackgate exists, like there's regular prisons in, uh, in gotham and like maybe not everyone deserves to or not deserves but like needs to go to arkham like the riddler penguin goes to blackgate because he's just a criminal yeah so like but this riddler like he truly in that last scene showed me that he like is not mentally well and he needs special like attention and stuff like that like the way he freaked out as soon as he realized that batman's like against him and he's just like no oh yeah when he like has a breakdown yeah Yeah. and i was just like one it made me super uncomfortable and like two i was just like oh okay yeah no this guy definitely deserves to be in like arkham or should be in arkham as opposed to like general prison even going through like all of his different videos and appearances he is always like you feel the unhinge anytime he goes above vocalization like he does that like hey like he starts shouting and the way he shouts it's not like i'm shouting with full anger it just sounds like i'm shouting with sheer derangement like he literally cannot control himself yeah yeah 
yeah uh the outfit itself is very interesting because it's like you know it feels creepy as hell it's like a weird mask and it's almost like it's similar to bruce's cowl where you know he has like the the way his nose goes it's very similar in terms of like the the nasal area but like you know he's otherwise like yeah it's kind of weirdly not dominatrixy but like it's just to me, it just kind of felt like generic serial killer, like what you would picture in your head as a serial killer. Yeah, like I think like. I think the hard thing with like a lot of Batman stuff is the wacky outfits, because like yeah. yeah, even Riddler now I think wears the green suit with like the purple tie and like the green hat with the cane and everything, and you know that might not translate well to this type no. of movie because if you look at classic iterations of the Riddler. You know, like the 1966 show and movie or like the Jim Carrey one, they all look green leotard question marks. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just like really goofy, you know, like, yeah, yeah, you can't really take them serious. And so I think they had a, they stuck with the green and kind of like the riddles. But I think like the weird, like almost like serial killer glasses with like leather jacket and everything made it more unsettling. But it was like the best they can come up with for sure i'm not even sure if they needed to do a mask at all like it didn't matter what he looked like under the mask and it wasn't like a huge reveal of like oh i recognize you once i have the mask off it's like no he's just a, a regular dude so well, yeah I think- he could have just been the riddler or like gone by the riddler and just like maybe not not, sure I, don't, I don't know he, yeah he just like didn't necessarily need to have the mask but it's it it definitely was unsettling for sure you could have done those videos where it's like the person's talking and they're just in the background enough where it's so yeah. dark you can't even make out what they look like. Yeah. But I, I think this worked. And I will say at least like, you know, the modern comic iteration of Riddler is 20 times more, I guess, believable than the previous ones where it is the dude with just like a fucking giant question mark on his head or some <laughs> shit. And everything's and, question And he uses a blender to mind control people. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Uh, it's It's a thing um like now yeah he at least is a dapper riddler where it's like yo yeah green suit and stuff he looks like a just a dude with green just like i chose i could have had a black suit and i chose to wear a green suit and i have a nice little hat and a cane that is like a kind of a a like crazy little thing but it works because i don't know riddler works in that way uh and i i will say too riddler of like the classic bat villains like riddler penguin two-face joker poison ivy etc um not counting you know the ones that are like razzle ghoul bane and whatnot like riddler is my favorite of those classic types of villains because he does something that brings out that version of batman that i really love is he brings in all these riddles he brings in these questions he brings in something that needs a detective and that's why he's my favorite of those for like those classic villains and in this we get that we get a guy who is literally going like, hey, here's all these crazy clues and some are... One is literally a pun and it's a very fucked up pun, but it works that so shit well. That hilarious. The thumb, thumb drive. drive. And uh. you're, you're just like, oh my God, like, I can't believe it. And His the audience... fingerprint pass, uh, uh, like, protected. Try this. <laughs> it just like, gives him the thumb. And it's just like, fuck. And the funniest thing, I think, in, in that interaction too is the fact that Batman could have put the thumb there himself. He just gives it to Gordon and goes, here you go, you could do it. I know, right? He could have easily just picked it up and like scanned it. Yeah. I love so that good. scene, Gordon. just He just feels like a cop that's seen 
just a little bit too much in Go- in Gotham, and he's just like, I'm so tired of this. You get that? You get that Danny Glover lethal weapon? Like I'm too old for this shit feeling yeah. in your head. He's not even commissioner yet. <laughs> yeah, no, he's not even. He's not captain. He's not chief. He's not commissioner. He's got like three full ranks to go, man. Uh, yeah, but Riddler's unhingedness was just so much fun. He definitely brings in enough where i'm easily gonna say i want more of him i don't want him to end there like i could definitely see him doing more he gets his own evolution which you know once again we'll get more to i guess in like the ending portion that's sequel talk and whatnot and what we're gonna see looking forward to it but he left an impression where it's a villain that is not just like a villain to be a villain it's not a dude that's just like well, I saw what you were doing, and I'm trying to cheat the... It's not like Scarecrow or Joker or anything from the Nolan movies. This dude is someone that the system failed. And he even talks about his time in the asylum... and Not the the orphanage. And it's like, we live like shit. There are 30 kids in a room. People... Kid, like, babies even potentially dying because we don't even have proper heating and shit. And he even then looks deranged in the childhood photo of, like, the Ave Maria choir of the orphans and the way he's looking at Bruce. Like oh, you fucking have everything and we got nothing. And yeah, poor he, Bruce Wayne, the, the like millionaire or billionaire. He's a billionaire. Uh, yeah, billionaire. Yeah. yeah, the billionaire orphan. And life must be so hard. And it does. It puts that into perspective, which you honestly don't think about normally because you do feel like you're like this kid watched his parents die right in front of him. He was robbed of his childhood and he's like a different person completely since that day where that kid pretty much died with his parents and riddler puts into the perspective of like hey at least you had a shit ton of money and a loving butler yeah i straight up had nothing we were pretty much fending for ourselves and yeah, waking up with rats gnawing at your fingers like yeah what the hell it's like oh fuck and you're just like oh jesus and the place turns into a drophead den uh in the modern day for them yeah. too uh which i thought drops was an interesting drug term for this movie it was it worked very well honestly um but it brings in that victimization that I thought was honestly, yeah, it's something we don't see with a lot of bat villains normally, especially in the comics. Cause usually it is like, Oh, Basil Carlo was Clayface, But before that he was like an actor that just went crazy because he was a little too obsessed with himself and shit like that. It's not like, Oh, this tragic thing happened and it made me who I am kind of like, uh, I guess some of the Spider-Man villains, I guess you could say, where it's some stupid scientific bullshit that turned him into an octopus or something. I don't know. But, uh, you know, you know what I mean. Uh, aside from him, there was another big villain here of the big older villain generation, and that was Colin Farrell's The Penguin. Yeah. Needless to say, those prosthetics were amazing. The The makeup and, and he, costume in the show, or show, the movie overall was amazing. For I sure. Think, I think he, for the, the Oscar for, like, makeup and stuff, surely just looking at the Penguin should win it. Like, that, that is such a contender yeah. just for him, just because, like, yeah, you could do all these crazy effects and make him look like some gray, gray, whatever, alien something, but this turn someone into someone completely unrecognizable yeah is something we never see that often in even movies. his accent uh, his accent like he didn't even sound like Hulk he sounded pretty he sounded like how penguin would sound yeah yeah it wasn't irish guy who might throw a peanut into a lady's throat and kill her on a plane and be like more nuts please it was <laughs> like oh 
I think I just saw the student Goodfellas or The Godfather, and it's this New Yorker Italian potential type dude who is full on mob and has a full attitude and is a wise guy. And it's amazing how they pull that off. And that, like, once again, we'll get to it with the influence and stuff because there is a good amount of mob influences into this. How do you feel uh, about East Coast Penguin versus like English Penguin? What? Ooh, yeah. I, I hmm. Well, so, because in certain in certain iterations, they make him British or like English. Yeah. Like, Hello, Bruce. Like, look at the Arkham games. He's like, Hello, oh, Bruce. Yeah. yeah. North, and then, North being British. In this movie, he's like your like the way a lot of like what would it would it be East Coast to say? Like more New Yorker or like Brooklyn, yeah. New York. Yeah, he kind of has guy. like a East Coast, like New York. I guess, hey, or, take it easy, sweetheart. Yeah. yeah. Or, would it be New York or New Jersey? Well, Gotham's in New it's, Jersey. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Oh, well. Yeah. Someone might I say, say that too, to piss that. No, I'd say that to piss them off. Oh, you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Guys, there's nothing more in New York than New Jersey. I want you to remember that. <laughs> Connor's just going to get a whole like group of people hating him. Good. <laughs> well isn't gotham in new jersey i it, i it, um hmm, yeah, i don't know yeah, i'm gonna get some asmr for your podcast take yeah the typing yeah welcome to my typing asmr channel guys and here's the breathing but uh yeah no he throughout this movie you feel like the guy is on top for the most part second only to carmine falcon oh, okay Sorry. Yeah. So Gotham City is traditionally depicted in being located in the state of New Jersey. Okay. It's, it is it is Metropolis, New York. It's like Metropolis. There's New York, and then there's still Metropolis. That's the thing. Yeah. Um. And then Gotham is like South Jersey, apparently. And Metropolis mm-hmm. is in New York, though, right? Is that true? Because uh, it's supposed to be across the bay from each other. Um, it would make more sense, I guess, if that was in New York. Wait, that shit's real? Yeah. What? Okay, so... Just in Batman qu- v Superman, when they literally Gotham was, like, in eye shot of Metropolis, I was like... Oh, wow. So, real. Metropolis is New York. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, oh, okay, they, yeah. Just, like, uh, they're, they're separate enough, James, where, you know, No Man's Land can happen, and Metropolis isn't really affected, whereas, like, Gotham is and stuff. Yeah. And they're easy flights from each other and shit. So there's actually a YouTube video that talks about how the geography of the U.S. gets all messed up because of, like, D.C. <laughs> because of the amount of cities added, it makes states bigger. Because you yeah. got to consider how big Gotham is, so it's adding that much to, to Jersey. And then Metropolis, how big that is, it's adding to New York, which is already big. So, like... Yeah. You're stretching out the country, basically. Could you that's imagine New Jersey having a city that's actually relevant like that? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess Penguin <laughs> would be depicted as, like, a New Jersey kind of accent, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Assuming it's like, he's from James, there. To the, it's to the point where, you know, every Marvel character pretty much is set in New York, where you feel like they just kind of shit on the rest of America because they don't think it's... They don't, they're like, ah, oh, well, the rest of America is not really worth it. But. Well, it's literally just because, like... um stanley he just wanted to write with like a setting that he knew was familiar with yeah literally where he was working yeah stanley was literally has said multiple times like i put him in new york because that's where i'm from 
you know? Yeah. Like, and, and yeah, now the problem is like literally almost <laughs> nothing of consequence happens except for New York. Yeah, New York. Every now and again, they'll they'll pull like Daredevil in San Francisco or Scarlet Spider in like uh, Houston or some shit. They put Venom but, in like Philadelphia for a bit. And yeah, San Francisco. And it's like for the first time in DC, in the DC stuff, James, uh, they're finally putting... They're putting the new Batman in New York. So Jace Fox, the current, the, okay. the second Batman is based there. So they're like, oh, check it out. We're doing this. And it puts New York actually in the DC map for the first time really in ever at this point. Um, but yeah, back to Penguin and stuff. But he is even, you can feel like he has an, he has a, um, what do you call it? A reputation. Mm-hmm especially from like the way him and Batman, when they interact that first time, he's like, do you know who I am? And he's like, yeah, I do. And you're just like, <laughs> Oh my God. But you feel like he's known for a lot of shit compared oh, yeah. to the way he is in comics, where in the comics, he literally just goes like, Oh, who are you? And they go, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, okay, cool. Dude gets a phone call. Oh fuck. Why is my family dead? And he's like, yeah, you told me who you are. I'm the penguin. I'm going to kill everyone. You know, <laughs> um, but he's like an ice cold killer. Uh, but that doesn't really for the most part do the killing himself the whole thing is him he has the mob he has the henchmen everything but he's second fiddle to falcone and you feel that whole time like he does want to take over he wants to grow and the first opportunity he gets he's like yo come on you're gonna die in blackgate you fucked I'm going to take over and this is all mine. And you even see it. He literally like as uh, Falcone is being taken away, literally shouts like, you fucking rat. Yeah. Yeah. And like Carmine calls him a gimp. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to fucking kill you. (laughs) But he does such a good way of somehow representing a mobster that feels like he's from the 70s, but still lives in the modern day. And pulls that off amazingly. And I thought that was something that's just like... I didn't think that was possible. But they made it possible. Because you look at Gotham. And it's not like Gotham TV show. Where I've said it before. I watched that show. And I'm looking at the architecture which is old. I'm looking at the cars which are old. But I see modern guns. And the phones are like flip phones. And I asked the question. I'm like what the fuck? What year is it? I don't know what year it is in this fucking world. And they never tell you. And it's so confusing. Whereas here... You're like, oh, this is modern day. Like, this is current life. There's giant screens on in like the Times Square of Gotham, their version of Times Square. Uh, there's I think it's actually in the future from us. Really? Yeah, because I might be remembering wrong, but like, there's a part where Catwoman's like, my mother died 20 years ago, and if you look at the tombstone, it says 2004. So if I remember correctly, oh. they're technically in oh. 2024. Holy shit! Weird. So that's what the future's like. <laughs> it rains all the time. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, I think she uh, does they, say they have better Halloween outfits now too. I gotta <laughs> say those were dope. Um, the uh, but yeah, I think she does say her mom died like 20 years ago or something like that. Okay. Maybe I'm remembering yeah. something else, but I'm pretty sure that's what it's like. Because I know the tombstone definitely says she passed away in 2004. Alright. Anything else on the penguin? He was, uh, just, again, surprisingly well, like much better done than I thought he would be. Because, like, again, Colin Farrell is the penguin. On paper, that sounds like an insanity. Yeah. That is very true. I think he's a character that I was like, 
Penguin's always been that character that always like slips under Batman. And then on top of that, I think like um they did a nice balance of like comedy relief and actually having him integral to like the underground of Gotham. Yeah. Like hit actually, yeah, talking about that, like the way he just like that's the mayor? Oh my god, it is the mayor! <laughs> and then, like, Batman fucking <laughs> almost goes berserk on him, but, like, uh, his full, like, the car chase, you know, he's, like, the way he even talks, he's like, I got you! I got you! And you're just like, oh my god, like, you gotta love this, you love how he's such a threatening person, you love the fear he has, though, at that point where he's like, oh, I'm afraid of this Batman, like, I can't believe it, but he's still a fucking smartass when, like, him and Gordon confront him and he's like i thought you were both detectives all oh, big big whoops over here like i can't believe you guys couldn't figure out el rata alada compared to la rata alada of like spanish and shit uh which was so good but um once again just like riddler like looking at his previous iterations you had 66 penguin which literally was the guy that went wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and then like the early late 80 or early 90s batman returns penguin which was danny devito biting people's noses and being like i'm from a sewer well he's also like uh he's also like in that movie he's like a mutant or something like yeah i mean his his dad dude pb herman didn't even want him he <laughs> threw him into a well like his dad is pb herman what? Yeah, batman returns yeah. yeah yep to the point where they actually brought him back as penguin's dad <laughs> in gotham same act pb was in gotham and then he dies in there too yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, really good. And then we had, you know, multiple other characters, minor characters. Uh, the most notable, of course, being Alfred, played by Andy Serkis, who now has played a creepy mutated hobbit named Gollum in Lord of the Rings. He's played a monkey. Chimp. He's played a bigger monkey. And <laughs> he used King Kong. He was... He was also the cook in King Kong. Not only was he the monkey, but he was the guy that gets eaten by the like thing that I forgot he did the mocap for the forgot for King Kong in that. Yeah. He's Caesar, uh, which Brandon and I remember distinctly his favorite his best line in the first movie. No! No. (laughs) Well, I forgot Matt Reeves directed those movies. He directed two and three, did Rise and War of the Planet of the Apes, yeah. Yeah, I never um, saw War for the Planet of the Apes. Which yeah. makes sense then. His already pre like pre made relationship with Andy Circus plus Circus already with his relationship with Warner from doing Lord of the Rings and stuff. Um and then even having him here like uh he was in Marvel. He was um Well Uly- Uly- yeah, he was Ulysses Claw and honestly oh, yeah. for the brief time he was there, seemed like a more energetic, interesting looking villain until they killed him off way too soon. Uh, he could have actually been someone of entertaining value uh, in that world, but whatever. Instead, we have him here as Alfred and another different iteration. Because, you know, we've had um, Master Bruce, I won't bury you like I buried your parents. We, you know, we had fucking. My uh, name is Michael Kane. Michael Kane. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, like overacting to the max. <laughs> uh, Michael Kane. The who, size you know, of a tangerine. <laughs> He, he was a great <laughs> Alfred for that trilogy. But, you know, we had Jeremy Ironside come in and you're like, holy shit, this is going to be fucking amazing. And for the little this little time he was there, he was so much. He was so fucking good. And, you know, before that we had I forget what that dude's name was that played Alfred in all four like Burton Schumacher movies. You mean the uh, 
Oh, God damn it, what's his name? Uh, it's been a while since I've watched those movies, but he always struck me as just like just the, the butler. butler. I just yeah. do the butler thing. As yeah. opposed to like helping actually do Batman shit sometimes. Yeah. Whereas Andy Circus is Alfred, you know, he's younger, you could tell he says like when he says circus, he meant the service, like he is an SAS soldier or former SAS operative. And he is very smart in this. Like to the point where, you know, Bruce comes in back from the mayor's murder and he's deciphering the Riddler's message. Yeah. Bruce didn't and, even tell him to do that. He just was like, hey, I'll see if I can help out. Yeah, he comes up and Alfred is literally decoding everything. Like this is a very like he's the one that's more or less taught Bruce all of his combat skills. He is the one that prepped him to become Batman. And he seems the one that also taught him all the detective skills because he's like, hey, check it out. I'm deciphering this and you didn't think about this and this, but here's what I did to figure out what the other letters are in his language or his like code that he's been doing. And it's just like Gordon. Alfred and Gordon before usually either support or second fiddle here. They're front and center getting shit done and getting their hands at least very involved in what's going on, at least until bombs say otherwise. But, uh, Brandon, did you see who it was, uh, for the, the uh, actor? Or... Yeah, it was, yeah. uh, Francis Michael Goff. Okay. So he's just, he's been, he's like one of those people that's just done like so many random things, but Alfred was towards the later end of his life. Cause he died in like 2011, mm-hmm. but that was the guy that played Alfred in all four of the movies. Which has that really random scene when we want when we did a commentary where Alfred's just looking at his time in India. What you don't remember that? In which one, Batman Returns? It was one of the. Which one was the one where Alfred's sick? Oh, that was Batman and Robin because that Mister Freeze helps him. Yeah, I was... wasn't there for that commentary. Oh yeah, oh, <clears throat> I was only there for Returns. I wasn't there for Forever Robin. Yeah, it was just like. It's really random. It's like Alfred's just going through like pictures on a computer and it's just like him in India. And I guess it was like when like just him being like occupying in there, like India or something like it's just like him just reminiscing over it or I don't remember. It was something really random like that. Master Bruce, my niece is coming to town. (laughs) So good. Uh, Yeah, but this this is a fun Alfred. Uh, How did you guys feel like? I know he's a lot different than what we're usually uh, used to. They, I mean, Alfred's always been one of those characters that honestly, like, he doesn't have to do much. Just kind of be witty on screen or helpful. And this one does do that. And I mean, Andy Serkis is an amazing actor, but he's just kind of, this is him actually on the more calm down side of things. Yeah. Oh, like as an actor? Or... Well, compared to him as Claw, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, very much so. I'm gonna go kill this guy's parents. <laughs> I made it rain. Oh. I lost my arm, and I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was interesting. But, yeah. I, I guess, yeah, not really much to say. I think, honestly, more to say of him for what comes next, if anything. But I did appreciate his relationship with Bruce in this, where... You know, in the very beginning, Bruce even goes like, you know, you're not my father. And he's like, you made that like I, I realized that very easily. And to the point where Alfred, you know, gets taken out by the bomb 
and is hospitalized and you have bruce there and alfred's the one that defends his father and is pretty much his family going like hey your family is a good family there was just moments of weakness they're human they're not perfect but they were very good compared to most other people in this city and you get to enjoy like uh i guess very wholesome moment considering like you know the burton schumacher the most you get between them is oh shit alfred's sick i gotta i gotta save him yeah. and oh that's uh, what it is alfred's like sick and dying and he's like looking at like his old like service photos but of him in india and then he like calls bruce and bruce is like don't bother me right now <laughs> alfred's <laughs> just like this old frail man dying <laughs> reminiscing oh. about his time when he served he's like not now alfred i have to deal with this back credit card <laughs> <laughs> uh, same mood uh and then you know the michael kane alfred is pretty much like i'm not gonna bury you like a period of parent like he's very much just like uh he is for the most part very witty he gives bruce shit but otherwise like they never you never i don't think you ever see them really embrace do you they never like have any physical contact that i can recall maybe in the hospital when alfred wakes up like they might have like held hands or something, but well, no, I mean Michael Caine's version. Oh, okay. That's what I'm saying. There's never really any full physical interaction. Whereas in this one, yeah, they hold hand. Yeah. Like you feel a more close, intimate relationship of like he feels like a father to him, uh, whether he didn't want to say it or not. Like you do the minute he says you're not my father, you instantly go this dude's this, like you feel like he's his father more so than the other movies have portrayed him as that type of parental figure to him. Uh, especially like when he uh, goes like, you know, I did my best, but I wasn't a father. I know how to like raise you and stuff. And Bruce is like, you know, you were there. That's all that mattered and stuff. Uh, but yeah, well, it's that, good. That, Other... That's always made the best dynamic between like Batman and Alfred is like the father figure aspect to it all. Yeah. It, it's one of those um, things that like it writes itself. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, it works so well. And then, of course, for those that don't know, in the comics, he's dead. <laughs> like Alfred is no longer alive. Yeah, he's still dead, huh? Yeah, he's still dead. I don't like that's the thing. Like, it feels like a version where you're like, there's no way so far to bring him back at this point. Um, it's just very much like you're you're seeing Bruce without Alfred, and the thing is, like, you don't expect Alfred to come back because you haven't gotten the full standalone bruce yet like you're getting some of it but you're still waiting to see more and more of it so there's a lot more to tell before they even would think about bringing alfred back so i I don't see him coming back for multiple more years at the very least which is kind of crazy honestly uh other characters that i guess more or less stood out um john turturro as carmine falcone yeah i didn't expect him to be yeah no i I always remember him as like a comedic actor but like he did pretty good in this movie yeah, yeah right like that's the thing he is usually like the funny like at least in a funny role like it's so it like i got almost whiplash going from watching him in severance which is i mean not like a funny show but like his character is definitely supposed to be kind of like goofy and kind of funny and then see him as carmine falcone and he's just like yeah i murdered a dude for your parents what up? <laughs> yeah. He brought, he felt so, like, I, it's funny because I do remember him casting him as Carmen Falcone. And I was like, that's so interesting. And then it leaves my head completely. I get into the theater and watching the movie. And I forget that that's John Turturro. 
Dude, it just like mm-hmm. completely left my mind. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is so good. Who is seeing that? him in 44 below was like, it was weird because I was like, that's, I know it's John Turturro, but it's it's not John Turturro yeah, right now. That's the Jesus from Big Lebowski. That's what I was you're gonna like, say. When yeah. she's like, he's my father, and it's like, that's your father. Nobody fucks with the Jesus, yeah, and you're like, like that's just, that's, that's also like that Italian car in Cars. He's, is that him? Oh, yeah, the one, the one that's like in the right because huh. they go to like Italy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, the one that's in charge. He is like the little uh, sidekick guy, and he's got like his mom yeah. watching or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's him. It says right oh there, John Turturro. So yeah, funny. I remember Holy hearing shit. his voice, thinking that. That's crazy. Holy shit! I can't believe that. But it's interesting because you know we've gotten two. I guess you could say the two iterations of Falcone we've gotten has been what. Uh, in Batman Begins, where he's like, these walls are too small, oh my god, and then Scarecrow's like, look at my mask, fuck you, and he's like, oh fuck, like, he's very short in there, and even though Nolan like, brings in the crime families, like the Falcones and Maronis, they're still, like, minor players in the whole movie, and they're not really that relevant, uh, the only other time they were really something was in Gotham, where Falcone is actually, like, a more prominent player for multiple seasons, or, like, I want to say one or two seasons before he's, like, gone for a majority of it comes back and then like gets killed off but he's like this respectable elderly elderly guy and uh and of course like nothing's beat the comic version of him like having him in the long halloween especially in that animated movie has been phenomenal and it's amazing because you never really get full proper representation of the mobsters in the batman world that are all pre like all the costumes and crazy arkham guys you're like, oh, right, it all starts with organized crime. And having him be so prominent in this to the point where he's like, at a certain point, you sort of for a split second forget about the Riddler and go, Carmine Falcone, target number one, Selena Kyle's main villain, but also, or like antagonist, but also at a certain point, like Batman's Bane, because he, not Bane of like, he's Bane, but like Bane of existence of like, hey, Maroney killed your father and mother. Oh no, it was Carmen Falcone that did it. And they even re- like reference the whole thing of like, in the comics, like Thomas does operate on him when he's younger. Carmen's father brings him in and goes, holy shit, Mr. Wayne, please save my son. And Bruce watches from the stairs. That is a thing straight from the comics. Hmm. And that was phenomenal that they did that in here. Uh, I mean, not, not that they showed it, but they talk about it. And you're like, oh my God, they're really just like, you're feeling alive in this world and you feel like Carmen Falcone is an important character and not just some like side guy that just gets killed off. Like you feel, you feel it when he dies because the way he looks at Batman and Batman looks at him, you're just like, Oh my God, like that just happened. They killed off Carmen Falcone. John Turturro is dead. Didn't he get killed off in the Nolan trilogy or am I tripping? Yeah, that's what I, no, no, no. He just gets, uh, when he gets captured by Batman, he's like, he just, that's why he goes to, Scarecrow comes in as yeah, himself. Yeah, scares and then, him, yeah, I know that. And he basically goes, this man's clearly insane, and that's the last you see of him, because he just got, like, oh, fear gas, yeah, so he's, yeah. like, fucked up in the head after. Yeah. But, yeah, I know, mean, yeah. such a great job. Um, I, I haven't seen that movie in forever. I don't know how I remember that shit. Uh, that's pretty much, I would say, all the characters. Are there any other characters you guys wanted to talk about? No, I mean, everybody pretty much hits the nail on the head with their roles, and everybody does a good job. Like, I don't think there's a single bad character in the movie. 
No, for sure. Yeah. Uh, bringing in the influences to this movie, and of course, starting off with the comics, we get, I think, more than we've gotten from any other comic book movie having full influence. Because the thing with movies that are based off comics are half the time, or honestly, it feels like majority of the time, the the writers and the directors never read the source material they're just kind of like ah good enough it's fine they got the outfit right we're we're good to go i don't know why i'm from new york but this is how it's gonna be Mm. and you're like okay well that was cool i appreciate their iteration but it doesn't feel like they've taken the full meanings of these books and put them to the test in here and even looking at the other versions of batman like uh Long Halloween is used in The Dark Knight, which is what I would consider probably my favorite Batman story is Long Halloween. And it's doing it's done well. It's done okay for like more or less. Like there's parts of it that are taken and used for it. But in here, they fucking use it. Like I see the Long Halloween. I see year one. I see zero year. I see no man's land. I see year two. Uh, I think there are a couple other books, but like you get all uh, Catwoman when in Rome, like you get a uh, dark victory. All of these different things come in and are all each taken pieces of to properly make something that feels like a legitimate comic book movie that has influence from a comic book. And you go, oh, yes, that's from this book. I can say it without a doubt. It's very visible. It's very clear that they've done this. Uh, like things like... Uh, like I said, year one, you have a young Batman that uh, is still new, but you look at Catwoman and she's like exactly like that. The monologuing is very akin to year one. Uh, year two is the same thing in terms of like his relationship to the cops. He's just getting acclimated to them. They're just getting acclimated to him. Everything is very uneasy. It's more so making way to show all the corruption and you're getting that too. Long Halloween and Dark Victory are both murder books. And Long Halloween being like the crime families being killed off, whereas uh, Dark Victory is all the crooked cops and politicians are being killed off. And you get both of those kind of put together in it a little bit with a murderer who are two different murderers, actually, but neither of which are the Riddler that they kind of, you know, substitute in this one. But uh, Long Halloween and Catwoman when in Rome explore Selena Kyle's relationship to Carmen Falcone, that he's her father. And... You know, it's very light in from the When in Rome stuff, but more heavily from the Long Halloween. And it's very interesting that they utilize that. And then, of course, the destruction, the potential like, oh, this is Gotham. That's like kind of fucked is from like zero year in no man's land where zero year. There's like a hurricane that separates the city from everything else. And Riddler takes his advantage and takes over the city, which we don't really see in that. But he's the cause this time. And like the breaking of the sea walls and we see that like now we're we're kind of getting that no the zero year cause but the no man land the no man's land after effect of it where the city's getting divided up and everyone's going to take a piece and it's going to be fought over now besides like all the citizens of gotham being the victims at this point but we get all of those at once and the fact that it took all these pieces together and made such a prominent film I think is just like the best adapted and they say that correctly, right? Adaptation. 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 Yeah. Adaptation of comic book ever in a film. 
What do you guys think? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, sorry, that was long. Uh, you you explained all got, the all the references there. Um, <laughs> I think just to back it up, I mean, yeah, it's more when in Rome meets. Um, I wouldn't say year two. It's based in the second year. It's like if there was a s- official sequel to year one with the same team. Mm, um, yeah, that's what it feels like with a little bit of hints of like long Halloween and all that that you already said. But I think the movie goes to show it's a th- it works because it's not trying to adapt a specific story. It just takes key plot points from certain like, uh, you know, other stories yeah. and applies those to create its own plot. It does that thing where it's creating its own version of the character but it's not warping things like too much to the point where it's unrecognizable. It's just doing it differently and it picks and chooses what it wants to adapt. And then by doing so, he, it almost feels like Matt Reeves wrote the script and said, okay, I'm going to write this script and see what stories align with my plot points and use those, but I'm not going to just adapt one book. So I'm going to take pieces and that's what the movie feels like, but it's all these pieces that add up to a good movie. Hmm. Yeah. And just making sure, too, uh, for those that don't know, Matt Reeves not only directed, but also wrote, or I guess co wrote with um, Peter Craig uh, for this. So he, which I always, I always appreciate it. Like, I love it when, you know, you see a director you really like on a movie, but when you see a director that was also the writer for the movie, it feels like it's, there's extra care put into it because it feels like it's something they're just like, it's their baby. And you feel like it's going to potentially be a good movie because they want, they want to raise their, you know, they want to raise their kid correctly. And that's what we see here is Matt Reeves made a very nice baby and everyone's happy. And he's like, look at my child, all of you look. And he's at the top of the Lion King rock. I forget what it's called, but you know what? Pride Rock. Pride Rock. That's the one. Yeah. 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 Um, not only did it have all these comic references and I don't know if there were more, like there could be some, cause you know, I haven't, I haven't read all the Batman books. And I had, at this point, I think of like some of the older things pre battle for the Cal and stuff. And, or I guess pre Grant Morrison, Brandon, you probably have actually at this point, probably read more than me. Um, but the, uh, films that had relevance to this too. Like, I don't know all of them. I'm pretty sure there's probably an article somewhere that actually even says like, if you search up the Batman, uh, film influences you'd probably come up with a good list or something but i can at least from watching it myself without looking at something uh, i could say probably three movies that easily influence it one of which being seven uh the yeah, i heard that uh, a lot yeah david finch movie mostly for the serial killer stuff actually yeah. not even that uh well that but also the relationship between Batman and Jim Gordon is the akin oh. to the relationship between Morgan Freeman and Brad that. Pitt, where Brad Pitt is like the loose cannon. He doesn't really care who he's pissing off, especially if it's other cops. And Morgan Freeman's like more like, hey, listen, man, you got to meet us halfway here. Like, you got to understand, like, he's more calm and collected. And you do get that, especially in the um, the best iteration. Like, the two things of that is you see the way those two interact together and you get that from all their different crime solving like solving the riddles uh in each iteration but they're kind of like 
I guess you could say good cop, bad cop with Penguin or more so the interaction with the cops at the precinct when they're more or less interrogating Batman or trying to like take off his mask and he's questioning them. They're questioning him uh, and Gordon's trying to calm the whole matter down. Like I, I got so much seven vibes from that. Um, besides that, you get good fellas in the Godfather and very much from the mob, very much specifically from Penguin, but you get that feeling of like, I need some respect around here. Like you get, you get that full on. I mean, I definitely see Godfather from like Carmine. Yeah. He's like got his own office, like at the top of the uh, building where like, you know, surrounded by guards, you know, you got to come to him for favors and shit like that. And Penguin's got that Joe Pesci feel a little bit. I feel like yeah. more or less. I got uh, more there. Yeah. I was going to say, I got some like Zodiac vibes. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that one, it's hard because it's like that. I feel like you get from the movie, but also from the real like that's more as well as real life. Because uh, considering Zodiac is real. Yeah, it's like uh, it's based especially on for us. Because it's a San Francisco thing. He was a the Zodiac killer was a serial killer in San Francisco history in the 70s. And I don't know if you actually real fast, guys, uh, before we continue this, like uh, my parents used to tell me they were freaked out. The whole city was freaked out when this dude was on the loose. Um, and it was a scary time. And my mom used to say, like, she, like, it was actually visible fear. You were afraid when you went out. You didn't want to go out at night. Uh, did your parents ever say anything to you about that or ever, like, mm. reflect on that kind of thing? I don't know if I ever asked. No, I mean, my family has been here since the 50s, and they never really talked about it. Okay. So I'd I can't say, say for, maybe they remember hearing about it, but I don't know if they were actually, like, had a reaction to it you know mm -hmm. but you know just food food for thought something to think about because that's some rich city history there yeah um, <laughs> but yeah that that was like what i got a vibe of was that and like i don't want to say true detective as well but more of like there's well, what did they always say Batman was? It was like Sherlock Holmes combined with Zorro. Yeah, to the point where even Penguin calls him Zorro. Yeah, <laughs> so he he de it definitely gives you like some Sherlock Holmes vibes too. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's interesting too. I mean, we we already knew, especially back when the movie was still being made. Like Matt Reeves just came out and flat out was like, "Yeah, I got some Zodiac inspirations here," and that is at least for the murder portion is the most prominent portion of it that you definitely just you feel that you feel a combo of kevin spacey's fucked up i forget what do you remember what kevin spacey's character's name was in seven um never was it just john seven. doe it was john doe right i think it was john doe i've never seen um, seven i couldn't okay. tell you okay it's a it's a really good movie brandon you should totally watch it um but it's like a combo of it's yeah it's zodiac meets john doe and that's the riddler except a more vibrant of like uh potential for outcry screams out of nowhere or over emotional shit that happens um otherwise i don't know was there anything else of references you guys felt uh before moving on i think i could think of i mean we already brought up the major ones i'm pretty yeah. sure there's more there but yeah definitely but it's it's interesting seeing that like i guess looking at other movies 
or other comic book movies, you don't really think about that, right? The thought never really enters your head. You just go, oh, cool, the movie comes out, I watched it, it was fun, I had my entertainment. Uh, the only thing you think of maybe is if it's like from this specific comic book that the title is literally named after probably. So you don't really think anything more than that where this one really goes like, hey, want to do some fun research? And it does make me like, I do after this want to go and see what else potentially inspired it and then just go watch those just so I could see what more like molded it and see where like it fits in going, oh, I see where this movie helped create this scene or this specific character interaction or something. Um, that's one thing I think this film got me really excited about was doing that kind of thing and making me feel more research driven, if anything. Uh, moving on to what we heard instead of what we saw. That music, holy shit. I know there was multiple themes here that were very interesting. We had the Batman theme, which was so simplistic, yet so effective that it pretty much stuck in my head, and I'm pretty sure you guys got it stuck too, I assume, It right? hasn't been, like, consistently stuck in my head, but it does pop in there every once in a while, just randomly. Uh, the soundtrack, I thought, was really good. It takes a different approach where it's matching the tone of the movie, so it's not very bombastic mm -hmm. Hans Zimmer. Yeah. But it's still good. It's just different. It's, interesting it's not Tumblr car chase. Yeah, it's interesting they actually put some Nirvana in there. Yeah, which was really random, I thought, but it seemed to have worked. Yeah, it does work, especially at the end where he's just like, doesn't doesn't it play when he does the second monologue? Yeah, and he's like carrying so. that woman to the helicopter, and you're just like, oh my god, it's so good. Um, but you know, he his theme is a a combo, so we have that like very much like simplistic tone of like bum 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 bum, and you're just like oh, I live by the song now I'm, at least i do i'm just like it's it's just in my head they're 24 7 i'm just like lying awake at night like yes i shall become bad but uh the other half of it is very noble is my best definition for it like you feel like i don't know if you've heard like have you guys listened to the actual the batman track of that specific song it's like seven minutes long or six minutes nah. or something no but, to be honest i haven't no um I could easily see if I could jog your memory. It's the scene where him and Catwoman are riding their motorcycles at the end away and then like split off. But like they're like going through the graveyard and stuff. But it's like a very noble tone where you do feel like they put the reference. They they, em they emphasize the knight in Dark Knight where you're like, oh, yeah, he's a noble knight. He's doing these good things and he's very heroic. Like it feels like heroic music in the first half. And um you actually it, it it gives almost like a studio tone as well like it almost slightly reminded me of like something you'd hear when uh the fox music comes on where it's like it's like that with the trumpets and they somehow pull that off and it makes me think of like a mix of like i see the wb symbol but in the best way possible as well as cool nights and just feeling good and then you get that first half and then it stops and then you get the like bum 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 and it's so i don't know it's very it's very i guess like enchanting to me i guess is the best word for it it just makes you fall in love with it and you know you look at all the other batman themes 
the most prominent being the animated series theme that you get from like the show and mask of phantasm and it's you know very choir oriented you get the more like action driven dark night music where it's like boom 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 and you're like oh shit and then the insane ben affleck music where he's killing people in his batmobile and you're like oh jesus christ but uh you know each one has their own theme but this one feels so yeah it feels quieter it feels just simpler and not as intricate yet somehow puts a different message where you feel like you're listening to this and you go yeah I hear fear, I hear detective, I hear dark, and it works so fucking well. Uh, we also got the Catwoman theme, which, you know, sounds very, like, silky sly, where it's like a violin almost. I don't know, uh, Brandon, you're much better with music than I am, so I don't know if you noticed something more than I did. Um, it. Let me see. Let me see if I have it on... Uh, because I was paying attention to the soundtrack... But I've only seen the movie once. Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, like the other, I, I guess like the three big themes is Batman, Catwoman, and then the Riddler. Oh, Riddler yeah. Is just okay, like... I do remember that. Sorry. I was just okay. looking it up on YouTube. Yeah. They changed it up because a lot of Catwoman themes that I've noticed in like the games and the other movies is like a piano that kind of like plays like sporadically in the background. And this one, it's like fully orchestrated. It does feel like that. Does there feel like it's an emphasis on strings? There is. Like, a perfect example of how it used to be is if you look at Dark Knight Rises, the first scene with Selena Kyle, just listen to that scene, and that sums up, like, every Catwoman soundtrack ever. Um, yeah, that's, that's about right. Where she's it, like, I didn't think it was unbreakable, and then, like, or whatever. Yeah, and it sounds like you're playing Breath of the Wild. But yeah, no, her her theme actually feels like it's more fleshed out um, in yeah. this movie. Um, and then this one is the hardest to remember, but the Riddlers is very just like dark and just unhinging. Like you're just like, oh, fuck. Like, I think it does play the first time. Maybe when he's right behind the mayor. Or no, no, he's looking. I think he's looking at the mayor from like across the roof. Like, he's watching his son, and then he's looking up at, like, the entrance and stuff. But, like, it's just, like, oh, creepy murder. It's, like, very much, like, oh, this is creepy murder music. Like, this mm -hmm. is Zodiac soundtrack right here. Basically. Uh, yeah. But That's the I most thought... memorable song for me. The Riddler? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, they do a good job with it. Um, Overall, how did you guys feel about the soundtrack? Like, is it something that, like, I know, obviously, like I said, it's very much, like, very down it's very low it's not like up it's not like blasting in your face like you would normally get from a comic book yeah movie. Eh, i don't know i mean as long as the soundtrack matches the tone of the scenes that they're trying to set like then i'm happy and the soundtrack did that yeah and let me double check what the composer's name was, it was michael gia gia something i can't remember what his full name was it was michael gia giacchino giacchino I think he's Italian. I'm pretty sure. Is he Italian? Let's see, what was his name? I think it would oh, be a Gia Caccino? No. I'm saying it wrong. He did Coco? Huh. He did Spider-Man Homecoming, Coco, Jurassic World. Don he did, yeah, he did multiple Planet of the Apes movies, Star Trek, Incredibles, 
Medal of Honor and Call of Duty or multiple of those titles, apparently. That's very interesting. Uh, I didn't know he did those. I actually kind of want to see which ones specifically he did because that has... Oh, he did Medal of Honor Frontline. Oh, yo, this dude... Oh, that's what I remembered about it. Holy shit. Okay, actually, really fast. So, one of my favorite songs from a video game is called The Knights of Arnhem, which is from a level of Medal of Honor Frontline where it's uh, Operation Market Garden and you have all these British soldiers getting killed by, like, Nazi forces and stuff, and it's very sad music. And there are actual tones of that in this movie, in the soundtrack, with, like, I think Batman's theme and stuff. Like, I kept feeling that piece of music in there, and I was like, why do I keep hearing something from a video game? And I was losing my mind. And seeing that he did the same exact music from that game, just like, oh my god, that actually is so exciting to hear, like, or find out. Like, that's really fucking cool. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. Just a small thing there. Um, I would have never made the connection. To be very honest. I, I, I know. It's, <laughs> you have to be crazy like me. That's just how you do it. Dress up like a green guy with question marks. Um, but Matt Reeves, the dude directed a couple movies about monkeys. Chimps. Yes. Chimps. Apes. Space chimps. Apes, if you will. Uh, gorillas with guns, monkeys with guns. All they, they all got guns. The orangutan's super smart. He's like a professor orangutan. Uh, but did you ever think that the guy that did like the apes movies would be directing a Batman movie that he also wrote and somehow did a phenomenal job with? I mean, you can say the same thing about the guy that wrote Hangover that made a Joker movie. Is that the same oh, guy? Yeah, huh? Oh shit! Was that? Oh my god! It's Todd Phillips or whatever his name is. Holy shit! That's pretty. I'm pretty funny. sure that's him. I see now. You're like, you wrote The Hangover. What are you going to do now? I'm going to have Joaquin Phoenix shoot Robert De Niro. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Let's um, see. Um, but yep. he did a... Todd Phillips. Todd, that's that's so interesting. Yeah, he did Hangover, War Dogs, uh, Old School, Road Trip. He was a writer on Borat. Road Trip? Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Due date. Uh, okay, that, make, that makes sense with Hangover, actually. He's done a lot of um, random things, but he did he did Joker. You never would have saw that coming. You would not at all. Not not so far. Uh-uh. But Matt Reeves looked at source material. He got so many influences from comics and movies and wrote, like I said, co-wrote and then directed this film. And it was so good and I was actually reading an article about him talking about Marvel movies and he was like, I don't think I could ever do it because he talked about how everything's so established where it kind of takes away certain creative freedoms, which uh, is very real there, especially because we've seen, I feel like more than one set of creatives get taken off a project because there were creative differences with like the overarching web, Mm -hmm. whether it was, um, who was supposed to direct Ant-Man? He did Shaun of the Dead. Um, Oh, Edgar Wright. Uh, yeah, Edgar Wright was supposed to do Ant-Man, and he got he left. Or, like, even with Star Wars, um, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were supposed to do Solo, and then they got booted off, and instead it was Ron Howard and stuff. Like, we've seen different changes like that, because they're like, it doesn't fit our overall plan, and even though you're a director, you're not going to be fully creative. You're just going by what we're telling you. And even when he came to WB, Matt Reeves was like, you want me to do what oh this ben affleck batman movie i thought he was gonna do it and it's like no 
Ben Affleck's not directing anymore. Do you want to do it? And he's like, it doesn't fit with what I could potentially do. Like, uh, I could try it, but I don't think I'd do a good job because it's not something I created. And it made perfect sense. It's like, it's not something he's done, he worked on, and it feels weird taking someone else's baby and just kind of like taking care of it and stuff. And instead we see him get more or less, I, I think you guys would agree with me, like a lot of creative freedom here compared to like other things we've seen considering like, I mean, yeah, Todd Phillips did the Joker movie and that probably, you know, they're like, hey, you want a crazy R movie that's fucking insane? Robert De Niro gets shot in the head. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but here it's like, hey, what if we did a Batman that has like Riddler, but Riddler doesn't look like Riddler at all. And he's actually like the Zodiac killer. And Colin Farrell is a crazy penguin man that literally looks nothing like Colin Farrell and all this other shit. And they're like, okay <laughs> and he got to do it and pulled that shit off so well it's something we're seeing with him we got to see with james gunn and we're seeing these directors all of a sudden get kind of free reign or at least more free reign that you would see you wouldn't see from wb previously and just in general from other studios potentially depending on what the ip or license is because they don't want to maybe go too far off the rails or away from maybe their general direction they want it to be but um did you guys feel there was anything extra special about like Reeves doing this or kind of the pattern we're seeing here with him and James Gunn and what it's going to lead forward to more so of because I do have something about like the future of filmmaking for DC but uh, if you guys have other stuff first I think you know I think the biggest thing to take from it is that when you allow a writer, director, producer, whoever have creative freedom, it tends with WB. It seems to go both ways because I don't think the Snyder cut is good at all, but that's like his full vision. Yeah. But then you have cases with like Todd Phillips, Matt Reeves, where they, or James Gunn, they do what they want apparently with nobody getting involved and just letting them, make the movie or show that they want to make and it works and i think what it's proven to show is that standalone stories work for wb a lot more than a shared universe and it's because these stories aren't based off of shared universe they're just individual one and done kind of stories where they tell the story they want and they end it and i think that's what makes it work better and i think that's the path they're going to take moving forward now, we know that they're not going to do that because WB likes to screw themselves all the time. And they're going to the they're going to milk these movies for what they are. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get sequels to them. But if they know any better, they know not to be so involved with the sequels. Yeah, I mean, we've seen already, like, I guess, in terms of standalone movies kind of working or connected movies that are kind of being utilized as standalone at the same time, but still part of the overarching world working out so far akin to Aquaman and Shazam. Mm -hmm. And those have both worked And you know, who <laughs> honestly, I feel like a lot of people are probably looking forward to Aquaman in the lost kingdom. Like you would never hear, Oh, Aquaman's getting a sequel. And also, Hey, people are looking forward to an Aquaman sequel. What the fuck? Like what, a, what an awesome world. What the fuck? Um, but it does put to mind, like, we're going to see two things. One, potentially and hopefully more directorial freedom 
for these other DCEU movies specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, we're getting Black Adam next, and I'm pretty sure the freedom of that is in of, hey, The Rock said something, we gotta do it. Well, what happens if not? Oh, he's probably gonna beat us up because he's the fucking Rock. But, uh, you know, The Flash, uh, that's a harder to say thing. But Aquaman, for sure, I feel like with James Wan, you feel like he's gotten to do a lot more of his own shit, uh, considering his past in filmmaking with horror and stuff. But um, otherwise, we're going to see more interesting singular takes like this. Like, we've seen the Joker, we've seen the Batman and pretty much there's two potential takes on uh, Black Superman coming. The one I'm actually excited for is the uh, Michael B. Jordan's Valzod uh, series or movie that's going to be coming eventually. And you can feel like that's probably going to have its own creativity in it from Michael B. Jordan. Like, he is someone that likes to create his own stuff, and mm-hmm. I think he could do a good job with this. Um, what was something else? Uh I think there's going to be other takes with other characters that maybe not so much will be outside of the DCU just because like they're kind of hitting all of the biggest ones right now. Like Gal Gadot is successful enough that they may not want another version of Wonder Woman out there and having already this many Batman is probably enough for them and the Superman as well. So we're kind of more or less probably reaching the limit. But now that they've tested it with this, yeah, I think they will be going more like, oh, what can we do with other characters within the DCU that we could do this with? And I think two prime examples of what we might get from that is Batgirl and Blue Beetle. Uh, seeing as like the the casting and the directorial teams for that are much different than what we normally get for a superhero movie, where it's very, I'd say actually, it seems very Latino, like uh, or at least very... Um, Honestly, more or less brown, uh, which we don't really get to see that often, which I'm, I'm very appreciative of personally. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see all that. And I guess moving on from there, uh, last two things here, one of which is probably the only big negative we have, I think, collectively. I don't think I've heard one person that liked to see that what they saw here was a certain clown being revealed for the sequel. And we're getting yet another Joker uh, in a Batman movie. Eh. The worst part about this movie is that they put the Joker in it. And I think this is what really holds it back. Because it just goes to show that it's either Matt Reeves really wants to tell a Joker story because everybody wants to tell a Joker story. Or WB is like, put the character in the movie. Because yeah, Joker makes like yeah, Joker makes sales, and I'm so sick of it. It's just like we get it. He's the biggest villain in the world. Move on. He had his own movie already. Use the other yeah. characters. Like fucking he Christ. Would, we're basically getting kind of almost like two to three concurrent Jokers. Like you have yeah. Jared Leto, you have freaking um, Joaquin Phoenix, and now um, what's his face? Uh, Barry Keegan, which we've seen in Dunkirk, who literally is just a kid that got, dies from being pushed onto the ground. And uh, he plays Droog in The Eternals, which ironically actually was probably the best character in that movie. But um, that movie was very boring. Plus Art. the dude who played it was the very Joker average. in Gotham. <laughs> yeah, who isn't called Joker? It's just oh, that Jerome. was... Um, that's, that's what's his name from... Uh... From Fallen Order. Jedi Fallen Order yeah. and Shameless. Yeah, that's uh fuck. Anyway. Um So is this they're milking it and I'm sick of it. It's just like 
yeah stop with the joker and it's just like we get it you need to sell seats or sell tickets so people can get hyped for the second one but like yeah there's other characters i don't know it really pissed me off because i'm just like i'm done this is every single batman movie every single batman story it comes back to joker yeah whether it's batman 66 batman 89 dark knight uh suicide squad bvs kind of eh, more or less um joker and now here uh it's crazy like he is there no matter what and Mm -hmm. you can even see like we've talked about in the comics like he's very prevalent in fucking suicide squad comics or he has his own title right now which actually ironically is pretty good i'm not gonna lie but that's more Mm -hmm. of the commissioner gordon's have things um it's overkill it's so much overkill and you know we may complain about batman overkill more or less in many different mediums but right now you know he's being done so fucking well and we have no complaints especially because this is the movie we've always wanted more or less and with joker though it's just so tiring because he is batman has the biggest rogues gallery i'd say more iconic yeah next to the spider-man very much so and he has so many villains some that are more you know colorful some that are more supernatural some that are literal fucking assassins or uh super powered and shit there's so many different types of villains that he has that like it has almost like different fan bases because they're different genres of batman practically and looking at this like we pretty much talk about we there's not much else to say about joker there really isn't but looking forward, like we've already heard what Pattinson and Reeves want as villains in uh, potential future movies. And we can imagine what we want for villains in potential movies. And, you know, we've heard from Matt Reeves and he said it would be really cool to do his own take on Mr. Freeze. And I thought, you know, I didn't even Schwarzenegger didn't even come to mind, but like. I thought about it and I'm like, dude, this is the guy that just made Riddler the Zodiac Killer. I can imagine Mr. Freeze being a legit guy who takes people and freezes them alive. And you're just oh. like, oh, God, this is horrifying how he did it. Like, I don't imagine like a crazy freeze gun, but like he puts them in freezers or something like it could be a crazy fucking another murder case where it's like, yeah, it's yeah. the this dude calls himself Mr. Freeze because all of his victims are frozen alive and it sounds insane. Um, I mean, and yeah if we, if we want to get into like what might be coming next because that seems like kind of where we're going with this yeah no pretty much like there's only so i shouldn't say only there are definitely like some of batman's like rogues gallery villains that would fit in this kind of more grounded world better than others mm-hmm. like i would love to see clayface in a movie but like that's not gonna really fit in this world but like one that you know i think would fit absolutely perfectly is hush like oh dude hush I, and uh, i've heard people say court of owls court yeah, of owls is the other one that came to mind it's just like one thing i, I liked so much about the hush storyline was just like how it was personally focused at bruce wayne and not necessarily just batman because like it you know, there's like some dude is going around leaving dead bodies with like pieces of faces missing, which is already horrifying enough. And then when he shows up, like, and he finally takes off the bandages off his face, like he looks like Bruce Wayne. And you're just like, what the fuck? 
you find out it's like an old friend of his, uh, Bruce Wayne's who's just like kind of like a darker version of him who like always wished his parents would would have died or something like that. And he killed his parents. Yeah, and it's like uh, Thomas Elliot. That's his name. Yeah, Thomas El- yeah, Tommy Elliot. It's just like it's such an interesting storyline, and like the one of the things that this movie did really well with the Riddler was like tell a story that I that was much more personally connected to the Waynes than I would have expected from a Riddler like focused movie. And so if they want to keep going with like the more, you know, personal stories, like Hush could absolutely work. Yeah. And I mean, they even say it in the movie when he's like hush money or something. Like, he says hush in it. And you're just like, oh shit. And you know, you don't think about it for a second, but it works so well because of who they say with it, which is, the reporter's last name is Elliot. And you're like, mm. oh, I like I was in the theater the first time hearing that. And I almost I was like, oh, my God, they could do hush because it works so well, just like the Riddler. The, Victor, the Riddler is an orphan that's a victim of the system. And that's very personal to Gotham. Thomas Elliot is then instead a victim specifically of the Waynes and Falcons. Yeah, like he is because of bruce wayne's father thomas uh thomas elliott's dad is dead and it's a different take but it's something where you could see that i wouldn't potentially say in the next movie but in two movies in the third movie i can easily imagine later on you have now a more established batman this batman is good with the cops he's good with the people he is very much like i've built myself up a very strong persona in the city criminals fear me and people love me or basically look to me for hope bruce wayne is now the same thing he is a man who is uplifting the city he is supporting the city the city is prospering with his philanthropy thomas elliott comes i know who you are i know bruce wayne is batman you are the reason my life got fucked up or your father is because of that and i know who you are i will hit you at every point that matters to you whether it is the wayne foundation whether it's what i've done for gotham whether it is my relationship with alfred selena kyle anyone else i've made friends with gordon and you could see that whole thing unraveling where hush is basically the main he's the like final villain of bruce wayne like i easily see that and there's so much you can do and just like in the hush story he puppeteers the other villains he puppeteers joker poison ivy riddler more or less um also figures out bruce wayne's batman and then goes i have brain cancer fuck (laughs) but like uh he is one of my favorite he is my top two villains easily is hush because of like the way they personalize that and not like this is the one time i feel like in a batman movie where we could potentially see a character that's more or less obscure to the average person where the average person literally just knows four people or five if you count Catwoman, Joker, Penguin, Riddler, and Two-Face. And they go, that's it. And maybe Mr. Freeze, because I saw Schwarzenegger that one time. But like, he finally can be on screen and it would be phenomenal. Uh, Otherwise, you know, uh, Robert Pattinson said The Court of Owls, which, you know, (laughs) I think Scott's... The other one that popped to mind was Zaz. Zaz could fit in this kind of world. Oh yeah, Zaz Zaz is very easy because Zaz can easily be a minor villain. Yeah. And it's a dude that scars himself. And in this fucking city with Zodiac Rid- the Riddler, says works very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Pattinson said Court of Owls. And uh, 
you know, Scott Snyder's run of Court of Owls is, I consider, one of the best Batman runs I've seen, uh, at least in the that like those couple volumes of it. And I've always loved the Court of Owls because of like their involvement in history. And I love history is a big thing I'm always into. So I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. But thinking of like the whole thing where, who was it? Um, Mackenzie's like, hey, this is bigger than anything. Like, you know, Carmine Falcone owns the city, but you can always imagine like it's bigger than this. And you think, oh, what's bigger than that? Oh, the Court of Owls, the people that are like the super 1%, the ones that control everything. And especially in a day and age where there's a lot of, you know, distrust and hate towards the 1% to those that profit off of the weak or not the weak, but, you know, those that make less. And having villains that are literally the wealthy can really work as well. Whether it be that working in tandem with Hush in a third movie or being put into a second movie and being like, yo, yeah this is dope, but like, you know, Joker is just the red herring or he's not even the main villain. And it's like, oh, it's really this court the whole time. We unleash this fucking psycho clown because, you know, whatever. Uh, we have our own like overall ideas of what we can do in this world uh, or in the city. And you've been like working too well, Bruce Wayne. You're li lifting the too much of the people where we can't have that because it ruins our own profits. And the Batman is also fucking up the other businesses we have. Uh, they can easily be prominent here. And like I said, I'm just excited because two types of villains that are my favorites can finally be put like this, and it's so exciting to see. Uh, but yeah, Freeze, Zaz, Court of Owls, Tommy Elliot, uh, anyone else you guys think would be working well for this? I just think Court of Owls are the best pick for the next movie just because I agree with that, only because they seem the most believable in that world. Yeah. Um, you know, he already. Could you imagine their design of a Talon? It'd be cool. It would be interesting. Um, yeah. I think that'd be the next best pick for characters that really got in Spotlight. There's only been two appearances of Cordell's animated movie in the Gotham Knights game that hasn't even come out yet. So. No, they were also in Gotham. They had those Party City masks. Well, <laughs> Gotham as well. Yeah, it's straight up, James. They their masks were straight from Party City. It was just like, "Hey, the Court of Owls." I'm like, "I thought you were rich. You couldn't afford a mask." Oh <laughs> that was two ninety nine, you bastards. Um, but yeah, so there's all these villains they could do. Um, how do you guys feel about Bruce Wayne's relationship in the future with Alfred, with Gordon, like, or the GCPD? Kind of like seeing those growths happen. Because um, obviously, like I said, we could see a Bruce Wayne that's going to be very much more uh, philanthropic with the city and stuff. Ask that again, because I was looking up the Court of Owls on Gotham, and I uh, totally like, saw the mass you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the the relationship growing between like Batman and Gordon and the GCPD, but also like Bruce and Alfred and stuff, and Alfred's potential utilization. Ah. I don't see Alfred being utilized that much. I see him more as like the Earth One Alfred, where he's a little bit more stubborn and just like more of a hard ass. And I think with Gordon and Batman, it's going to develop into the one you know and love. And yeah. a, a decent Batman story that kind of works really well is when the police work against him. That is true. But with I Gotham working with, or Gotham, but with, uh, with Gordon working with him. Yeah. I could imagine potentially there's still that corruption 
in the police and we're still seeing like it getting rooted out yeah um you know gordon's probably captain or chief at this point in the second movie um and then big question if we'd see her in the second movie already or probably not until the third but catwoman's return he'll come back yeah i don't see any, feel, though, i don't see any reason like, for her not to come back i think for sure we'll see her again but the question, I guess, being like, do you think we'd get her immediately in the second movie? I think it'd be like under, it'd depend on the conditions. Okay. Yeah. All right. If it yeah, services the plot. Exactly. All right. Uh, any final last words on the Batman or anything relating to it or the future? Um, The movie's not perfect, but it's damn near. It lived up to the hype it's probably the best batman movie and honestly one of the best comic book movies to come out and after recent news i think it's awesome that zoe kravitz finally got to be in a batman movie because it seems like she always wanted to and she finally got to. so i read the article apparently Anne hathaway it was for catwoman oh, it was for catwoman oh, yeah shit. okay and hathaway got it so I think it's it shows that like she was determined to be in a Batman movie and she finally got it. So I think it's awesome that she finally got to live that dream, you know. And, I'm glad it was in this one. Honestly. Yeah, and just, she got the be- she got the better cool. movie, and she yep. was the better mm-hmm. Catwoman and one of the better characters overall. So I think that's awesome to have. Uh, but overall, the movie's good. I try my best not to overhype it, but I think it's the Batman movie we've been really needing for a long time. Sure. Yeah. Same. I mean, I could complain about it being a little bit too long. Like it could, it could maybe be like two and a half hours, and it would have been fine. But like, I don't know. It, it didn't feel too. It's gonna sound really weird to say. Like it, it's too long, but it didn't feel too long. Where it's just like, when a movie is too long, you feel it. And I didn't really feel it for this month. Uh, for this one, it's just like, it is a bit of a time investment. Is all. But other than that, it was a very good movie. I enjoyed it. Pro- awesome. Definitely probably the best Batman movie, at least. Yeah. I'm definitely happy considering last year, where last year I was like, yeah, my most anticipated movie is Godzilla vs. Kong. Yeah. I get it. And I'm like, most disappointing movie. I hate everything. But this time, like I said, it, I was like, yeah, this is my most anticipated movie of the year. Um, ironically, everything keeps happening in March for some reason. But uh, it lived up to everything I wanted it to be. And I said it before, like, it's what I consider the best Batman movie. And I would even, I'd try so hard not to overhype it, but I would say it is the best comic book movie, surely for the fact that it hits something that the others don't. And I look at it as a comic book film and not a crazy comic block like comic inspired blockbuster movie that's just like here you go the blast and explosions and shit like you really feel like oh my god this could get like i i imagine this in many categories in the oscars i imagine this like actually being on people's radars because it puts the work in in terms of influence in terms of acting in terms of design and set and production and it feels like there was a lot of love involved in the creation of this film and i can really appreciate that um like i said i've seen it twice i want to see it at least three more times in theaters if i can um because i really liked it that much 
and if there is a four-hour version that they put out on blu-ray i will fucking watch the shit out of that i think like to describe it really fast like in the theater uh when i watched it the first time i was just in my head thinking god i hope this isn't near the end i want more i want more i want more i want this to keep going and i think that's a really great thing if they can do that to someone or at least to me and i didn't for a three-hour movie i didn't think about ping once i want that on the record uh, i did the whole time but that's just that's just me i it, <laughs> whenever i go to a movie and i know it's really long i i'm just like i can't drink anything but then we went to the alamo and i was like well, i need to at least try one of these drinks on their menu i had two yeah. <laughs> well that that was i saw it once already so i was like i could go to the bathroom right now um but yeah that's been the cut of steel episode 13 talking about the batman and i'm glad you guys were both here to it brandon welcome back again i'm glad to have you here dude uh if you want to real fast uh where can people find you as always the handle is jiggity jones for all things social media and you can find me of course at the apollo city comics podcast your everything and anything comic book podcast and we just did an episode uh should already be out the day before this comes out um yeah we did our uh overrated overrated underrated with the live action batman films and we kind of just talked about all the movies we briefly talked about this one but we talked about all the live action batman movies up to this point and which ones we felt deserved appreciation and which ones didn't i guess i should say and that came out a day before this so this is uh you know this came out on a friday so it's already out you can check that out on the apollo city comics uh channel on all podcast platforms on youtube and everything else Uh, you guys are still on youtube right yes indeed yeah uh and of course uh james we can find you at invader jim 124 on twitter and you can find me at go comzilla on twitter as well uh like i said uh this is part of the sutra side talk channel please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to if it's apple podcast give us a five star review if it is spotify rate us and youtube give us a like as well as a subscribe uh cut of steel i can tell you guys you know we got a busy year ahead of us for sure uh we'll have episodes on black adam the flash aquaman and the lost kingdom uh, i also plan for us to have the episode going through every single dceu movie announced since after man of steel and that's one that's probably gonna be one of the sooner episodes we're gonna get uh we will do an episode on doom patrol uh seasons one through three probably uh i think we should also be doing an episode on the harley quinn animated series uh, as well as that little comic time they did for that um so that's for sure you know we got what like uh nine more months so we'll have these six plus three other potential episodes whether it's one uh i've wanted to do for a while focused on just Zack snyder uh another one potentially about uh if we do it either this year or next year i don't really care about titans uh, of course we got birds of prey uh wonder woman 1984 but i don't necessarily need those out this year i'm thinking like you know those movies we can we can keep waiting if we need to i'm not in a rush for those either but uh that's what we're looking forward to for 2022 and those are all the potential things we're gonna have at least uh maybe maybe not include a game and a comic in there as well we'll see what happens but uh otherwise until probably later april Uh, We will see you next time. So long. Thanks for listening.